Welcome to Shelf by Genre, a show about types of literature in the worlds they imagine. Today we continue our unit on Ursula K. Le Guin's Earthsea novels, and now we are discussing the entirety of The Tombs of Adawan. I'm Cameron, and with me here in my dark tomb are my co-hosts, Michael and Austin. Could I just light like a little candle? Just a little one. No. Hey, just, no. No, 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 no. No. <laughs> what about just a match? Just a single match? No. There's there's one rule. Mm. Well, actually, there's two rules. Wait, what's the other rule? No fellas in the clubhouse. Oh. Mm-hmm. And also, no, not not even a match. No life. What if he was? I'm a eunuch, <laughs> so you don't count. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But what if there was a guy who was just so tall and dark and handsome and like exotic Ooh. and like mm. he was worldly. And he knew everything. And I didn't know anything. And he could take me away from this place, but like in a commanding way. Mm-hmm. I'm beginning to think there might need to be some uh, changes to these rules. <laughs> Based on what's happening in the eternal priestesshood. Uh, and me being 15 years old. You ever imagine a world where the only thing that can happen is patriarchal capture over and over again? <laughs> I never imagine a world in which the only thing that happens is patriarchal cap- capture over and over again. Um, yeah, I have actually. Okay, okay. I have imagined that. Um, you know, it's a considerable question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have. Uh, this is uh, Tombs of Adelon's second book of the Earthsea books. Le, Gu- Le Guin wrote it second. I have to make a confession up front. Yeah. I have abandoned the tome. What the oh, fuck? I know. I'm so glad that uh, I gave uh, away the six paperbacks that I bought prior to this when you said we're going to be reading from the tome. I've been reading the tome in public. Why would you give them away? What? Because I had I had Cameron. And you're like, I'm never I gonna have, need to bounce back and forth between these. I things. have I have a lot of books, Cameron. Yeah. I have stacks of books all oh, over my house. Some Michael of us don't live the in the, the library of Babel. We don't just have infinite <laughs> shelf space. And Christmas was coming up. I had these six books that were duplicates. And I was like, mm. you know what? My niece has gotten to the Boom. Harry Potter age. Oh, oh. That's fascinating. Regifting Michael is is uh, uh, casting his Michael. is casting his uh, decision <laughs> to recycle a purchase as my violence. Interesting. German chat comment is what he just done to Michael. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> regifting mm, Andy. Fascinating. Uh huh. <laughs> they were still in their original shrink wrap. All of them. Okay. Well, look, I'm sorry. I've done it to you because I just couldn't. I tried and I just couldn't get through it. I was so uh, the way I read, I read differently, different places. And uh, uh, at my desk, if I'm reading, I have to reach across the tome to type notes. And mm-hmm. I found that I was like giving myself tiny paper cuts at the bottom of my palms because of where my palms were resting as if the tome were a wrist rest. And it's not. It's uh-huh. paper. Um, yeah. But I, I pushed through. These are the costs of being a wizard. Well, yeah. I, uh, you know, shout out to Acapella Books, uh, the Atlanta area's best um, bookstore. Mm-hmm. For, firm statement. And uh, I used to go there when I lived in Atlanta, like weekly, you know, go check out what they had. And one time they had I like, go there all the time and I don't even live in Atlanta. So who's well, more dedicated now? <laughs> 
Well, I guess uh, if you went there often enough, Michael, you would have been able to get the $3 copy of the Tombs of Adawan <laughs> that I purchased in 2017 <laughs> that's been in a box in my house. And so I, uh, but yeah, so I like, I was having such a hard time with the tome that I was like, I got to go find this copy of the book. I yeah. know I have it yeah. somewhere. Uh, because I, uh, every time I see a copy of um, like old paperback Le Guin, I just pick it up and I got it for three bucks. It's got the sticker on the back of it still. And it's good. It's got all the original, um, like woodcut illustrations oh, that so are from the original illustrations. That's interesting. Yeah, let me. I'll, I'll take a little, uh, take a little photo and send it to the chat so y'all can see like what they are. But there's one for each of them. And yeah, so I, I'm sorry. Oh, I know the, I know the. Yeah, yeah, yeah I got what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, like the cover illustrations that have that woodcut. Right, and there's one woodcuts? for like each chapter title. They look like woodcuts. Yeah, I think she may have even said they were. I can't quite remember in that first that first uh, afterward. Mm -hmm. Well, notably, I did not read the afterward. So um, you didn't read the afterward. I just oh, forgot. Boy. You know what the afterward is? I'll just tell you right now. It's like permission yeah. for us to talk about the sort of things that people who are listening to this podcast for the first time maybe would be like, you're reading into things. Why do like you why? always jump to talk about feminism? Uh -huh. You know, that type of shit. Where they, where you know what I mean? Where it's I, like, it's I, I want to. I, I need to make a. I, before we get too far, I do need to say I don't think that's most of the people that listen. To this no, show. I didn't say that was most of the people. Okay, I'm just making I sure. And so it's the <laughs> type of person who, in fact, I said the first time they're listening to this. You know there what you I go. mean? People okay, are like, I got you. Oh, a new podcast about a, about wizards, and they listen to it, <laughs> and then they go, and they're like, "There's not a Gandalf in here." There's no. There's. No, well, they're saying it's just a Gandalf. Sometimes a Gandalf is just right. a Gandalf. It's not a stand-in for patriarchy. It's wait, not. Wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Sometimes yeah. a Gandalf is just a Gandalf. That's so that's they believe this out there. Mm -hmm. There's nothing I, think I might believe sometimes a Gandalf. Well, sometimes a Gandalf. a Gandalf can be a Gandalf, but let me tell you about uh, uh the tombs of Ottawa. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the tombs where of Ottawa Gandalf is a different kind of guy. Where where he I mean, uh, you know, I actually don't think that the afterword puts that on Ged, but it does say this is a book about being a girl and being yeah, you know, put into the world of limited uh opportunity and yeah. uh, and gendered obligation and good luck getting out ladies mm -hmm. oh i mean the yeah. book just bleeds that right and, and i, I agree yes uh the uh but it's nice I to finish like your book and turn a page and have a, <laughs> the author be like yeah go ahead and you talk about that as much as yeah. you want you ain't the first one buddy mm -hmm. oh these you imagine cut, if, Le Guin, great. if Le Guin, uh, wrote uh, like the afterwards like gw did I wish. Like, I would here's nine that. words dragons know that we didn't talk about in this book. <laughs> that would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, I do Shinar, like. I mean, that's the word for, for jelly bean and dragon. <laughs> right. Here is specifically how the cards make bread. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, it's not discussed too often in the manuscript, but in my further research, I've determined that the cards make bread out of acorns. Here's the stewing process for acorns. <laughs> yeah. Gen wasn't familiar with the word for acorn in, in the Kargish tongue, and that's because uh, uh, the, when, when Ged says that the, the Kargan city is not really a city, he's referring to the seven different township types of Earthsea. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, all right, cool. I guess so. I like cool, that. yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. The uh, the I it is interesting. I'm sure we'll get there, but I do want to like like throw out here that it's so funny at the end of the book that Ged is like. You know what's gonna fix you? 
I got this Yoda who lives on a mountain. It's fucking believable. And he tried to fix me. He's like a cool guy. He's like tried to instruct me on how to be like a like a dude in the world. And I suck when I go went there. I was yeah. not in the right place in my life, but you? Yeah. Let's just shuffle you out of the narrative for, for a little bit. I'm kind of done with you, actually. Uh, I have more to say it, about that when we get there. It's Everybody. real. Look, I, I know this is anathema to you, Austin. I'm mm. sorry I'm about to do this mm. to you, but it's kind of The Last Jedi, right? Oh my god, I can't. No, I don't think it's that, actually. You I don't think, I I think it's kind of like that, where he's like, hey, I had a Yoda, my Yoda's a ghost now, go hang out with my ghost. I think it's a different thing that's way more damning, actually. The thing mm. that I think it is, is the thing I kept thinking about while that was happening, which we need to explain what this is in a nah, summary. Okay. They read it, they're fine. Okay. They're yeah, it's a short book, go read it. Um, uh, is uh, so, so, you know, I'm a big berserk guy. The Kintaramiura mm-hmm. uh, uh, manga. Last year oh, I listened, with a big sword, no shirt. With a big sword, no shirt. Last year I listened to um, the idea of evil, a podcast uh, by Reed McCarter and Gareth Damian Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a read over on the Superculture over, Network. Yeah, we're on the Superculture kind of Network, a fellow traveler network. Oh yeah, of, for uh, sure. Range touch. Yeah. Um, and a, a thing that they zeroed in on happening about you know about halfway through Berserk, there's an event called the Eclipse. This is where the '90s anime ends. Uh, it is a moment of like great violence and betrayal and violation. Uh, real, real content warnings uh, for a billion different things uh, for for Berserk in that moment and and throughout Berserk, obviously. Um, and then like Miura kind of like. One of the sort of main main characters who like gets through that, but was like horribly harmed in it, um, and and horribly harmed in a in a very like exploitative you know uh, uh, sh- shock shock chasing way, um, just kind of gets shuffled to a blacksmith, just like ah shit right. Well, she lived through it. So what do we do? And Guts just like takes her to a blacksmith that he used to hang out with and puts her in a behind a door and is like, she'll just be safe here. And then like a, a chapter of the book happens and you can tell that or like kind of the, the position that that the idea of evil podcast puts forward is like, you could tell me or it's like, ah, oh, fuck, I actually can't. I have to make this about all that bad trauma instead of it being then like the book where you go fight big moth demons and don't ever mm-hmm. think about the trauma. I have to think about what it means that this happened to this person or that happened to these people and like how they start working through it. But his first instinct is like, ah, shit, let's just put you over here away from everything for now because I don't know what the fuck to do with all this. And that's like Mm -hmm. how this book ends effectively. Except that I think that Le Guin at least, the final words of this book are so deeply sad. Uh, And uh, I think that there is like a degree of... uh, like pessimism throughout this book that allows it to stick the landing a little bit. But uh, at the same time, it's just dire. You know, I think Ged is making the guts decision at the end of this book more than Le Guin is. But I do think, and, and her afterward kind of gestures at this, it is a little bit of Le Guin not knowing what, uh, not knowing another version of this story to tell at this point, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we'll talk about the afterward when we get there. Hmm. We'll talk about that whole thing when we get there. Sure. Um, Michael, you got any big thoughts here at the top before I read the summary? I thought we weren't getting a summary. No, nah, we're going to do one. I wrote one down. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> all of my all thoughts are nothing. predicated on not having a summary. So, uh, now's the time to get them out. Okay. Yeah. Uh, book's good. Yeah. I think maybe we should just say off the top. I think this book is really good. Yeah. I think it is obviously a companion to the first book. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I think it would be hard to read it in. It wouldn't be hard to read it 
first. I don't I, know. I think it would make me so skeptical of Ged throughout the first book. Yeah. I think it undercuts Ged so much. Um, I mean, he's still, I mean, yeah. Ooh. Which can be good. I Which don't know. Can be good. Like, but it would make it hard to go back and be like, Ged's my guy. Yeah, that's exactly right. Right. He right. does. He is a, a, a magical powerhouse in this book, as in the previous one, sort of. Hey, I'm uh, holding but, back the earthquake. Is that okay? Yeah. I'm holding the earthquake I back. Think, I don't know that I like this book as much as y'all. I think it has bad booking in wrestling terminology. Hmm. Um, I don't we'll talk about it, but I'm I'm not as high on the I I'm I'm really high on uh you know Tanar slash Arha. Mm-hmm. Um uh I think that like the the stuff about the Kargish culture is fascinating. I think the moves that are happening there are great. Um I'm not uh it, it, it's a heavy book in a way that's not um it, it that sets up a bunch of stuff that I was like really excited to see where it went, and then uh, kind of sh- shrugged away from a lot of that and reasserted Ged's mm-hmm. worldview in a way that I thought was like, yeah, I think that's right, really frustrating mm-hmm. and and a, 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 a kind of dropped ball. A sort of like, um, damn, I thought what you were going to do was expand the vision of this world, and instead you you shrunk it back down and said that like the wizards of Ye- of broke yeah. or right about this stuff, you know? Yeah, broadly, it's like, hey, did you know that the enemy, Kargad Empire, is like their own culture and they got all kinds of beliefs and, and ideas yeah. about the world that are really interesting? But did you know they're also wrong about those beliefs? <laughs> like, ideas? Wrong about like, it a, all. like right. objectively yeah. wrong? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That is, that is, uh, so uh, this is a book, I think I enjoyed it more than the first one but i only enjoyed it in the way that i did because i have read the first one mm, right yeah mm-hmm. yeah um agree and then I, but i also absolutely see what you're saying austin that like what is fascinating about this book for the first two-thirds or whatever mm-hmm. uh is how it is so clearly like a mirror and like a contrastive mirror with what is going on in the yes. first book and doing what we already said that it's like it's taking this culture that we didn't see a lot of in the first book and then like filling in those blank spaces uh but then ultimately it does like contract back to and the thing we learn all the stuff we learned in the first book is basically right right I mean, like you know the first the first two notes i have just from the one page or whatever two three page prologue however long this is it's one page um uh, the two notes that i have are um Tanar is the flower in the valley because there's a description right away of uh, the the flower in the valley opening early, right, rising rose and white like a faint star. And it's like, okay, that's what this book is, right? So this is Tanar is going to like need to need to bloom, right? That's the book or what we're reading. And then my mm-hmm. second note here is immediately gender. Ged's story was about a talented boy brushing against his own power and volatility. Is Tanar's going to, or I said Tanar's is instantly about structural pressures put on her by culture. Right. And that's the book. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and and it's that mirror that you're talking about, Michael. That's like, oh, here are the ways in which prideful Ged was able to be reintegrated uh, both with himself and with, you know, the the social. And then here is a way in which Tanar is immediately devoured by, you know, metaphorically, but literally the social uh, in a, and put into a role of of like cultural reproduction and. Uh, and and also a kind of diminished role uh, at that because yeah. of the the current status in car and all that stuff whips like I actually think I'm with you I think that I actually it's funny it's like I think the back six chapters this, this book is what twelve chapters long 
Um, like that. I think the middle is like the sweet spot. Those middle like five chapters is just like killer. I it, I it took me a little bit to get into it, and then the back half I read through like a fucking demon. You know, it was like, oh, I need to I need to see all of this stuff. Um, and however however much I the, the end of the book lands or doesn't land bracketed, it's it, it's good reading. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like uh, it's yeah. a it's a good way to spend an evening. Yeah, I did the same it. thing. I like I kind of pieced me like chapter at a time through the first half, yeah. and then I read the whole back half all in one sitting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think for me, uh, you know, and I'll read the summary in just just a moment. But I think for me, the thing that takes this into like a second step, and pr- people can hear this in the previous episode too, right? Is like I just totally mark out for like melancholy uh, mm-hmm. unresolvability, right? And this book. That's it's why I like the left-handed darkness so much, right? Like, mm-hmm. I you know you just can't, uh, but which is also by the way a book that kind of levers that to do the exact thing that you're talking about, Austin, which is like Le Guin leaves a bunch of things hanging mm-hmm. um, and sets up a bunch of things that don't get resolved maybe in the way we might want them to. Uh, and I like Le Guin. It's why I don't like um, the dispossessed as much. Mm-hmm. Just to be honest, mm-hmm. right? Like I do like the kind of loose. I don't know. Um, insufficient Le Guin is maybe my... Hmm. It's why I like Rokanan's world too, right? Sure, like sure. She, better than so many other science fiction fantasy authors, right? This this particular genre cluster is so good at giving a setup and either failing to or deciding not to give a punchline. And there are some places in this book where that is like perfect. Like... Uh, I don't know how we're going to say it. Manon? Is that how we yeah, say it? Yeah, I say Manon. I think we know. Manon, yeah, yeah. right? No notes. No notes. Right? Manon's uh, perfect. Right. I, ideal the, like, top to bottom. But but like you're saying, like there's just no no comparison in terms of like we were talking about last time. Uh, the, the first book was a reversey, right? Like every chapter is its own book, essentially, right? Every mm-hmm. chapter has something in it that would carry a whole novel for yeah. the most part. That is not the case here. That is not how this book works at all. This is yeah. one continuous story over 130 pages. Right. Uh, and one of the things I loved about it is that in like a, a contemporary fantasy novel, the part of the story that this is would be like the first three to five chapters. And yeah. then mm-hmm. we would like zip out into the world and yeah. do like a hero's journey or something like that. And that's not to say we're not really doing a kind of, we, we, we could put this up against a hero's journey if we wanted to but it is localized in a way that i find very compelling well it allows her to just do some just fantastic character work with tanar that only really works if you if you lean into it that way um Mm -hmm. you know get is such a sketch in a wizard of earth sea um Mm -hmm. and like you know he has this big character he has a few big character beats but generally can get gets to be like okay what what era of get are we in okay now let me tell you this little contained vignette about the dragons or about the the Terranon stone or whatever, right? Um, uh, and in here, you just sit with this character psychology and see it develop and get challenged and change. And, and that just all, all really does work for me um, super well. So, yeah, it really kind of signals the other stuff that she's going to work through in the 70s, right? Mm-hmm. Which are a lot of psychological profile right. kind, of, right. kind of books, right? And books that play with perspective. And the way that, like, the first book really couldn't play with perspective, other than maybe that scene that we talked about pretty extensively uh, around the Jasper uh, Ged first meeting. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm, whose perspective are we in and why does that determine how we do it? But let me read the summary so we can, like, talk plotty plot, plot, plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I've uh, piloted a new way of writing the summary. 
which is I read the whole book and then went back and wrote the summary. Okay. Which is okay. not what I've done previously in any of the times. We'll see which one produces better ones. <laughs> <clears throat> this is the summary for the entirety of The Tombs of Adewan. A girl is taken from her home and inducted into a faith. She is told she is Arha, the Eaten One, a soulless, eternal, reincar reincarnated high priestess of the unnamed ones, the bad guys from the last novel. She lives in Adewan, above the tombs and labyrinth in the Kargad Empire. Her faith is an old one, waning in power against the ruling god-kings of the Kargad Empire, but her faith is still respected and tolerated. She grows up there with several people. Her servant, Manon, the god-king's priestess, Kossel, the priestess, Pintha, and some others. Arha's life is small and dedicated to an absent god in the weird backwater of Earthsea. She eventually comes to master the labyrinth beneath Adewan, and because of this, she is prepared when a thief appears to steal the treasure that exists in the labyrinth, half of the talisman of Aerith Akbe, a wizard who has been defeated in Kargadlands a long time ago. His staff broken and his talisman sundered, he had been sent packing, and the Kargad people kept their portion for a trophy. It's not just a talisman, though. It is a ring and it contains eight full runes alongside a ninth, which was broken and lost when the ring was broken. The thief believes that, that bringing the two halves of the ring together will unite the ninth rune, which is a sigil for leadership, and it might heal all of the executive leadership issues that plague Earthsea. We find out that the thief is Ged, and Arha is quickly faced with a dilemma. Does she do her du duty to her faith and kill him down in the dark in deference to the unnamed gods, or does she learn from him, finding out about the outside world and what it might be like? Armed with the Promethean fire of atheism presented to her from her friend Pinthe, Arha <laughs> ultimately takes the risk of freedom with Ged and decides to flee Adawan. They escape, but the unnamed one's anger is so hot that it literally collapses the entire religious structure in an earth-sundering quake. It is presumed that nearly every named character is dead, except for Pinthe, who probably has to become the high priestess of the faith she does not believe in. But Ged and Arha escape, and they get in a boat, and they make their way to Havnor with the talisman. That's what happened in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Basically. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, like, crinulations in here, but that's the broad strokes. That's how it goes. Yeah, it's a summary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not... Got, we're not going back to just reading the whole book. <laughs> We hit that with the Citadel of Autark, where we just read a full half of that book on the on the episode. I think we're going to go back there at some point. I think it's going to get think us. by the end of our scene, we're no, just going to be, it'll be the entirety scene. of it? You know, it was okay. a podcast. Podcast has a whole life. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you right. what the future of a podcast holds. I think at some point, I am. And I, I am going to tell you what the future of the podcast holds. I think at some point, we will hit a thing, and we're like, well, shit. We're just going to have to read this whole book on air. <laughs> <laughs> you think on the long enough timeline, we will be for there will be no way we'll be able to prevent ourselves mm -hmm. from just reading the whole uh, book. Otherwise, we just got to read Mona Lisa Overdrive <laughs> out loud. <laughs> I just don't think Citadel of the Altarch is so singular that yeah, it's the yeah. only thing that will compel us thus. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. And it yeah, might be in this we'll tone do, uh, that you're not reading anymore, which I think diminishes the likelihood that we read from this one together all the way through. Partly because now we're going to be on different page numbers. Also, fuck it, I'm going back to an EPUB at this point. But I've also because I've got it right here with me. I think the tome is like built to read from like out loud. You know, you set this mm -hmm. big book down in front of you, and you're like, Ahem, now I will read from chapter four. You know, right? I put it on a lectern. It's like <laughs> exactly. story time at the local BNN. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, uh, look, maybe I'll go back to the tome. Okay. No, it's, no, no. It's, it's fine. Hurting everybody so bad. No. I'll go back to the tome. Enjoy your little paperbacks. Mm-hmm. No, well, Have here's fun. the thing. I don't think I own a. I don't think I own a paperback of the farthest shore. Okay, so well, it might be back to the tone. Okay, this this was a, an evacuation of convenience as much as anything else. <laughs> I already already own the paperback. You, you know? did miss some really cool art pieces in here. I will. I'm say. looking at it right now. Yeah, yeah there's some I'm good not stuff. Being robbed in here. of anything. I own the book. Yeah, but you're being robbed of turning the page and being like, oh, look at these figures on the wall. Yeah, you're right. I got the woodcuts though. Yeah, the woodcuts seem those things. seem great. There's one of, of Manon that you posted rules. That's exactly how I pictured him to the mm-hmm. degree that I'm like, did I read did I read this version of it when I was a kid and just forgot it, you know? Mm-hmm. Because this you know, is just... exactly what I think happened for me was I read half of this book in in, you know, grade 7 and then was like, I'll get back to it and I just never did. I've got a better one of Manon to give you. It's it's him carrying Ged. And it might be one of the coolest pieces of art I've ever seen. I'm excited to see this. I'm going to send it to you. Please send it to me. I'm doing it right now. There you go. How about that? Oh, that rules. It does that rule, is right? Uh, I'll post these on social media. The efficiency of this. Them in yeah. the dark. The, the use of the negative space of the, like, the outside of the tunnel is great. I mean, I guess it's a woodcut. It's kind of all negative space. but that's you're a woodcut artist, uh, let us know. Yeah. I would love to like make a shirt that's like a woodcut of of uh like so, like Severian shirtless. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is also the most I felt Severian has hung over our future readings because I kept oh, yeah. wanting to like reference the highest what's the highest order of sovereignty or whatever uh, uh-huh. conversation. Mm-hmm. I and in general, Ged is a real Severian in the, in this one. And, well, and. And Arha is also a Severian, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, like, quite literally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if, it, if it didn't come out a decade earlier, it would read so strongly as a critique of of like Book of the New Sun. But yeah. as it is, it's like a critique of Aunt La Lettre, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, it, it, what it means, therefore, is that Book of the New Sun is a sort of apologia for, you know what I mean? It goes the uh-huh. other way. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. So we went too far with the Tombs of Adelon, and we gotta we have to recorrect by defending. <laughs> the core text of uh tomb kids and their weird yeah. beliefs mm-hmm. every generation there'll be a book about tomb kids <laughs> uh all right let, let's get so austin you brought it up a minute ago but yeah. but uh let's talk about it here the it begins with her getting inducted into this faith kidnapped a little bit. Yeah, oh she gets kidnapped yeah this book begins and ends with a kidnapping so it's good it's good hey now isn't freedom a kind of kidnapping? Is that what you're saying? No, uh, it explicitly ends with him using her name to force her to yeah. leave. So yeah. that's a kidnapping. It's coercion. It's actually yeah. not coercion. It's just force. In a world where, where, where names are power, he, there's a, a key moment where he kidnaps her. No, he, she's like okay with that kidnapping, mm-hmm. it seems, maybe, in yeah. the long run. Uh, <laughs> but it's a kidnapping. Oh, um, yeah. The minute where she... I, I love that Le Guin does not leave that up to, like, the 14-year-old reader. No, right? yeah. But it's like... Hold on a minute. If he can do that to rabbits, <laughs> yeah. What the hell did he do to me? <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. It's good. Um, it's gr- great stuff. But it opens with a kidnapping yes. because this little kid Tanar, she's running around on the mountainside, loves the mountains, hooting and hollering. Yep, being a little kid. And we find out, like uh, her, basically her father and her mother are standing there talking, watching her running around. And her father's like, "Look, like she's been claimed already." And you're like, what? What are you talking about? 
He says, uh, he says, she quote, she isn't ours. She never was since they came here and said she must be the priestess at the tombs. Why can't you see that? You have four others. They'll stay here and this one won't. So don't set your heart on her. Let her go. Yeah. But mom is like, when the time comes, I'll let her go. But then like for now, I'm going to like bend over and like kiss her forehead and, you know, play with her hair and be a mom and make her soup, you know? And the dad is like, ah, I love her too, but I'm too much of a man to say it. I'm so sad about it, but I can't show this sadness. I'm angry and sad, but I won't, I'm not going to let it out. I'm just going to bite my tongue. You're reading a lot into this fella. No, I'm not. His His face in seven words he says. His face in the dusk was full of grief, a dull, heavy, angry grief that he would never find the words to say. At last, he shrugged and followed his wife into the firelit room that rang with children's voices. Yeah. That's it. He's pissed. He he doesn't like it either. But Might as well what are you going to do? Yeah. be done with it, he says. Yeah, and he's unhappy about that. But that is his coping mechanism for this, right? Is, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. to shut himself off to her. Well, they come and grab her, eventually. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably better here just insert the reality of it, right? Because they we, we get, like, Gwen does a really interesting thing here where she tells the story of um uh gosh what i was gonna call her telfar but that's not right uh tenar tenar <laughs> uh she tells the story of tenar's like induction into the 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 faith mm-hmm. of the unnamed ones uh twice in a really cool way one with via third person narration right mm-hmm. and the other through manon who like tells the story later Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe we can just like tell them both at one time because that I think they're interesting contrasts. So the third person narration is like they go and get her. Uh, they bring her to the order. Uh, they they do the uh, Feast of St. Catherine. They do the uh-huh. Feast of St. Catherine basically like beat for beat in weird ways. Um, she's stripped of her name. Right. And so she, her name is uh, removed from her and she's fed to the unnamed ones. Her soul is there, right? And she is called Arha. Mm -hmm. And Arha is the the reincarnated eternal high priestess. So it's always one person, right? In their imagination. Tanar was born on the night and maybe even the very hour that the uh, former high priestess died. And five years later, they went and got her and took her in shades of like the selection of the Dalai Lama here. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that, it, that feels like the real world kind of thing. It's in conversation with, and she grows up uh, within that and is as happy as one could be. It seems like growing up within something like that, uh, you know, very shadow of the torturer here. She wants to be a kid a bunch. You know, there's like that mm-hmm. stuff early on where she's like, she gets her friend in trouble a little bit. They're like climbing the wall in a way that they shouldn't be and like hanging out in places that aren't really for her friend because yeah, as the, her friend Pinthe. Pinthe, yeah. As the high priestess, she's kind of above reprimand. Uh is Tenar is is, is Arha at this point. Um uh which which I a thing that's interesting here is the in the afterward, I'm saying this for Cameron, who I you, you don't have this afterward. Mm-hmm. Um uh Le Guin refers to her as uh, Arha slash Tanar throughout the afterward, yeah. which is interesting, yeah, I think. Um, yeah. uh, but the, the you know, she's above reproach, but Pente ain't. Pente's getting whooped, you know? And there's like a little bit of, um, there's a little bit of Tanar being like, 
damn, I wish I could be a regular kid and get whooped. You know, I can't get, there's no, I'm not allowed to get into trouble because I'm not allowed to be a kid. I can't have childhood. I have to be the high priestess, uh, which is, which is fun. Oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm scanning through this as you're talking, Austin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did not realize the left hand of darkness was written in between. That makes like yes. a billion, yeah. zillion percent sense. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. I was going to bring that up yeah, later because this, mm-hmm. this, yeah. the, the way that this book is written, mm-hmm. not only just is like straight up, like Le Guin is doing a different thing, <laughs> yes. but uh, texturally it feels so psychological and grounded in a way that the previous book didn't. And as I was reading it, I was like, this feels more like left hand of darkness. And then there she goes and, and confirms it. There it is. Well, And an interesting yeah. thing too, around that Austin, what you were referring to earlier of, of sort of, um, the um, simple reassertion of Ged's worldview, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, as like a, a truth is fascinating in that context because The Left Hand of Darkness, without spoiling it for people who haven't read it, because it is a book that is, that actually has some surprises in it. So it, it is worth going in kind of un, uh, as unknowledgeable as you could. Mm-hmm. It it does. It is about two cultures that clash with one another and the clash of those cultures is um, felt significantly in the psychology of the characters. But it does end with a character who like looks at the world and goes, oh, maybe I should synthesize other knowledge with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's fascinating to write that book and then not do that here. Well, um, yeah, I, yeah, it's it's yeah, there's I think you put these these books in conversation seriously. Um, yeah. And and I, there's stuff in the afterward that is just so uh you know she's writing the afterward 20 years later 40 years later is that what it, um, remember michael she yeah, says about like about 40 years later. i think she says like 40 years on yeah, i reread yeah. this stuff um uh but there's there are times that she talks about you know tanar in a way that feels really um uh it, you know i'm not trying to play armchair psychologist here uh but there are ways that she writes about tanar where you can feel like she was working through her own feelings in a way that she would not work through them again, uh, or, or she would come to a different conclusion, not just now 20 years on, but simply after the catharsis of writing out this version of it once, you know, that there was something, mm-hmm. there was something, you know, uh, expulsive about writing it the first time. Like I have to get this out of me. I have to get these feelings of um, the, the sort of uh, terror and repression of being, you know, uh, a woman in society, uh, mm-hmm. out uh, that that is that is caught in the way that she writes about Tanar in the in the afterward, and I, you know, you kind of see it right away throughout this book, where like the there is so little given to her in terms of space to be a person, um, and there feel like there are wounds there, you know, um, and that is, I think, one of the most compelling things about Tanar is that like. When you find when she, the second she gets a little bit of power, it becomes like a, a little bit of power, real, real power or, or you know, control over something. Uh, all she knows is is wound. Um, and you can really feel it here. And and I think yeah, the I, thing that is distinct for me between this and, and left hand is exactly the thing that you're hitting, which is like uh, this doesn't feel like. This feels like a pessimistic novel. And, you know, I mean, you can read left hand pessimistically, I guess, but like. I don't know. I, mean, no, I, I don't think so. I you mean, know the, what I'm the saying. final chapter is so this is, um, and this doesn't purposefully get synthetic. Right? Exactly. It's, it's this not is quite a I mean. restoration, right? right? But it's close at right. the end of left hand. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas like this is actually kind of explicitly a pessimistic restoration fantasy, right? <laughs> We're gonna go find the rune of peace. 
and everything. And I, I, do I have to take it back though? Do I like have to return the rune of beef? Oh, can I go like live on an island by myself and die? You can have it. Like you take the yeah. I think you're right. I, and uh, just a little bit. I want to say pessimistic. Uh, I mean, I don't. I don't necessarily mean that as a pejorative. Do you know what I mean? I mean that yeah, as like uh, uh, the person in the cage can't but imagine other cages. But why shouldn't and why shouldn't right. they? Right. Well, like the the thing about this book, I think top to bottom is that it is focused on the idea of the trap of power mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. that power is a type of cage like the so like going back to like how uh, uh arha is chosen right we get both sides of that we get kind of the exterior weird estranged uh taken from your family ritual and then when we get manan telling mm-hmm. that story later it becomes a fairy tale yeah. right why don't you uh why don't we, can you want to summarize the manan version since i i didn't say that part yet michael uh, I mean, Manon tells basically he is, he is telling you the same story, right? But mm-hmm. he is telling yeah. it from the perspective. It's his dialogue, right? Like how this works is that Arha is like, you know, uh, so Manon, let's back up, actually lay this out for someone who hasn't read. Mm-hmm. Uh, Manon is, uh, like basically, uh, Arha's personal, uh, servant bodyguard protector mm-hmm. slash Some sort of holy slave yes <laughs> slash uh slash you were like slash oh, manan is uh, those uh, things but also yeah uh well he's uh uh like he's a large uh like bulky eunuch right yeah. he this is a character type but he's he's also her um, her, her warden effectively right he's our warden in both you know he's our he is he is there to protect her but also to guard her in some way to to guard her and to guard her right Mm -hmm. right and so she tells him or she she knows she does the little kid thing where she's like tell me how i was chosen (laughs) right like tell me how you chose my name like the kind of thing you hear from from real little kids and he's like but you you've already heard that right you've told i've told you that story a million times um, but she still really wants to know. Uh, and so he tells her like, oh, well, you know, the one priestess uh, passed away and we did all the rituals. Uh, and then we set out and we went in this direction, in this direction. And we knew that the child had to be a girl child and she had to be of sound body and mind, uh, all this stuff. Uh, and, you know, just kind of like lays out the whole logic. Um and then and we like went uh, all the way. We we went to this place and this place, and it seemed like maybe we were never going to find the right uh, person. And then we went to this little shepherd's house. We walked in, and there's this beautiful baby girl, like sitting on her like father's lap or something near the fire, right? Just like this very like romantic uh, kind of version of it. Um, and we knew finally that was her, right? Like that was that was it. Uh, and uh, then we uh, like, you know, we, we made the decision to bring her back and oh, her her poor silly mother <laughs> uh, who who objected to this. She she didn't know how important that this was going to be. She couldn't understand. Uh, and then uh, uh, we also get I'm like looking through this now to refresh some of my memory. Once she asked, what did the the mother do? when they came to take take the child away. And so what's nice here is that uh, we, we also know that Arha has like no memory really of her earliest childhood from like one to three or whenever mm-hmm. uh, she is taken away. So she's also clearly trying to like plumb out details of what her life was before it was this. Uh, and it says, but Manon didn't know. He had not gone with the pri- priestesses on that final journey. And she could not remember 
What was the good in remembering? It was gone, all gone. She had come where she must come. In all the world she knew only one place, the place of the tombs of Adawan. Rad. Yeah. But, you know, I, the way you, you said it earlier, Michael, too, is like so important that it that um, it that the telling is the fairy tale version. Right. Mm-hmm. That there's a kind of um, way that, that it's told to her as a character, as a kind of magical bringing into, you know, the truth of the world. Right. It's like if right. the fairies stole you. And then they like told you the story about how they rescued you from their wicked human world, right? Like it's mm-hmm. one of those things. Um, and it it's uh it's great to give like the objective, big quotation marks, right? But the objective account that we get to begin with, and then the subjective account that is so much more harmful, right? In terms of the, her perspective on the world, and we understand that she's been getting this her whole life, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. This the same version of the story. Right. It's like you are you are extremely special. Here is how special you are. All the specialness of the world is contained in you. And also, uh, we stole you from your family. You don't remember anything about that. And you must stay here forever. Mm-hmm. Now, do these the, the participation trophies of uh, yeah. Earthsea. Yeah. <laughs> the world's around you. We stole you away from your family <laughs> to make you part of the youth basketball team. Mm-hmm. We all get a pizza party, no matter if you win or lose the championship. It's it's the ultimate failure of the the Cargad Empire, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, and then and then and then that is her life here. Is is uh, a you know two things. One is they steal her away from her family, and her fa- her family don't give shit. This is not a no. And and don't worry, now you'll be held in a place of honor in our among our people. It's just like now you have one less mouth to feed buddy to the degree that one of the details we get is that other families who have girl children who don't want girl children will lie (laughs) and say that they were born on the day that the priestess died uh to try to get rid of them you know Mm um you know and others just give them up to the god kings right right because that's pinthy's story too right right like Like, i just had too many kids yeah we got an extra daughter like ship her off to be a priestess Mm -hmm. yeah Mm-hmm. Uh, they're in the desert too, by the way. Like here, the the location mm-hmm. uh, of the the tombs themselves, right? The tombstones, the place where uh, Arha grows up, right? Is 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 like in this like nightmare desert zone, right? Uh, Cameron, you have the map. There's a big right? frowning sun that chases you once you start walking across <laughs> it. <laughs> they gotta walk weird. I do have the map. Okay, yeah, making sure. Cool map. Actually, wait, wait, wait. I've got the map of the labyrinth. Do you not have the I've map got, of the town or like the town? But yeah, the, okay. I got the map of the town. Yeah, that's those are where the, the maps. where the sheepfolds are. Yeah, the sheepfolds and the slaves. The, the God Brothers. The God Brothers. I want to know more about the God Brothers. Uh, yeah, basically everything that we don't learn about. I'm like, give me that. Can we, give, give me, me that give splat me book. More of that, please. Yeah. I want the Cargat Empire splat book. <laughs> I want 118 unvarnished pages <laughs> followed by 40 pages of stat blocks. Yeah. <laughs> for every person in the Cargad lands, please. Yes, yes, please. I'll take it. Oh, uh, I should know a thing, a thing that came to me while reading this book. Last time I was like, you know, you don't get a lot of uh games video games that feel earthsea ish and the one that mm-hmm. reading this came to mind immediately was of course king king DMC. of dragon pass was oh, dmc sorry. yeah devil make dmc devil yeah. may cry the the one by, <laughs> that, by the american who who made that one who made the the dmc ninja theory ninja, the ninja theory one only uh no but written king, by alex garland <laughs> exactly oh, was it 
Is that real? Yes. Damn, yeah. I yes. No oh idea. My god. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, that's why it's good. King of Dragon Pass and Six Ages and the kind of like Glorantha Stafford esque, or you know Stafford co wrote all the Glorantha stuff, right? But then, mm-hmm. but then yeah. all of the um, uh, A Sharp is the developer on on King of Dragon Pass. All of that stuff where like the the anthropological you know lens is on the fantasy world. Yeah. Uh, for who have not played King of Dragon Pass for six ages, um, they are a sort of Bronze Age, uh, a series of Bronze Age strategy narrative games where you have a clan of of people in a uh, in a fantasy again a Bronze Age fantasy fantasy world. And you have like a council who advise you on big narrative beats, uh, but like everything is subjective. Every character has like little beefs. You know, someone might just like dislike the elves and constantly be in a sort of like, you know, Cathago Delenda Est about the elves mode. Uh, someone else, you know, might just like distrust a certain other clan. Uh, everything feels really grounded. And and one of the key features of that series is that you can go on these kind of like um, the, these, these kind of hero quest type uh, uh, things where you, you kind of go into the spirit realm or the realm of, of heroes and myths to complete a, a kind of retelling of an epic journey. And it's just the, you know, it, it is just this style of, Tanar as Arha getting high on incense in the tomb and like dancing around and channeling the spirits. And then like, you know, the spirits are there. Don't get me wrong. But like you do have to get high first. Um, yeah. And and sometimes things go wrong during the these big, you know, heroes journeys. And it the entire perspective of that series is like, oh, OK, OK, actually, here is this is the most earthsy shit because the you know, the those games end up being very much about like. Okay, how do you how do you remedy the split between these two families, these two like families of house thanes or whatever? Because one of them saw a ghost, and the ghost said the other side stole twelve bushels of wheat for, or stole a cow from the other one. And you're like, ah, oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. I guess the I guess the ghost was probably telling the truth. That's a real truthful looking ghost to me. And to me, that is some earth sheet, earthsy shit. So people mm-hmm. who want that style of video game, go play uh, those those games. They're great. Yeah, and I think that's a part of that too, right? Is that those those games in the Glorantha setting broadly, yeah, right? Yeah. Does a really cool job of, you know, magic is real, but like kind of yeah. real. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it, real it, in like a saying, very practical sense, exactly. in the same way that it is in Earthsea. Yeah, right. Um, you wanted the sacrifices to the cow god because like cow fertility is the most important thing in that game. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it matters when you yeah. got like a bunch of dudes who need to eat some cow. Mm-hmm. Um. And and that's what's kind of cool about this, right? Because she's brought into this faith of the nameless ones. Uh, again, there's the you know this. Uh, she is the reincarnation of the first priestess, and as we're told later in the book, she will also be the last priestess because she is eternally reincarnated. Yeah. Right. It seems pretty clear that the book's like narrative frame does not believe that this is true. Right? Yeah. Uh, this is kind of where asserted like... kind of later too. This is what I mean when I say there's kind of bad booking. Yeah. Is that the nameless ones in in Wizard of Earthsea, mm-hmm. the nameless ones one, the shadow that is chasing Ged, which mm-hmm. we get confirmation of in this book, is like tied to the nameless ones. Tied, yeah, the, the old powers of the earth. The old powers of the earth, the death gods or the, the powers of death, whatever we want to call them. Uh they get many names here, despite being nameless, so, sort of supposedly, um, uh are are powerful and scary in in a wizard of earth sea. And here mm-hmm. they are so diminished, despite this being the center oh. of their house. 
Um, I don't think I, I don't agree with that. I, I think, think so. I, I think that there's a point God. being made here. I mean, I, I do too. I do too. I just think it's bad booking. Um, there's a big confrontation at the end of this book between the power, the the old powers, and and get into Nar, and it's like. Yeah. It's like a stage play where a guy is going around with his head up, being hands up, being like, "I'm stopping him. I'm, ho- I'm doing everything I can to stop him." And like, bro, I could turn the this big tome back 150 pages, and you were doing like a wild confrontation on a boat against against one little part of these things that has yeah. spectacle. And I, I, it, it is embarrassing to be the person who is like, "I wish there had been a sword fight against the darkness." And that's not what I'm saying, but I think that like. They, I, I do think that there's a point Austin's being made. Giant shame. Total, like it is. It is. I think that it is. I know what you're saying. Yeah, I understand. What you're you saying. know what I mean, right? That like I think that yeah. there is a degree to which, in order to tell the story that's being told here about those powers being, you know, uh, uh, you know, forced into a smaller and smaller place in Kargish culture, about Tanar feeling like she doesn't have know anything about the world, she can't bring anything mm-hmm. from this place out. What you have to do is shift how those powers are portrayed. In this book, and and in the, yes. the result of that is, you don't. Ged just looks so op. Ged just comes across as being <laughs> the yeah. the great outsider who has shown up to this stupid backwater culture where the the gods they worship aren't gods and they have no power, and mm-hmm. she has no power to to leverage. You know, there's this line towards the end of the book where she is like. Uh, she responds to Ged, and and she's like, and she's, uh, you know, Le Guin describes the narrator describes it as being uh, a uh, uh, spoken with the voice of equals, right? That like, ah, she yeah, is the, the priestess pre- and the, the priestess wizard, and the sorcerer, but yeah. she's a priestess of nothing, and she's a priestess of nothing in both. She's a priestess of nothing. She's a priestess of a thing that Ged has just uh, completely demolished the ideology of and which has never been shown to work for her or to work successfully on anyone except for in a wizard of Earthsea. Yeah. But well, I, I don't know if I agree with that and here's why, right? Like the, I think the implication here is that the whole mechanism of the nameless ones, right. Is only social pressure. Like the, the yeah. thing that yes, that's my social point. oppression. I know. I know what you're saying. Right. But the, what happens in a Wizard of Earthsea is when it is reduced to, or not reduced, when it's when it's led into the world as like a figure, it can be defeated individually. Mm-hmm. What we get into this book is ultimately like not thrilling to me, which is like, you know, it's something we talk about in Just King things all the time, is that evil ultimately defeats itself, right? Like, yep. what's mm-hmm. not happening, I, don't, I disagree with your characterization of what Ged's doing. Ged's not like defeating them. Ged is walking around like, in a bubble of invulnerability. No, that's my point. Right? And I think that that's yeah. really bad. I I think that that is like not fun. I don't think that it has any any yeah, spark. It's not thrilling. I don't me. think it's well and and I think that the fact that he can just do that in their place of power is fundamentally undercuts the idea that it is a place of power. Yeah, but you don't yeah. think that that is only possible because their high eternal priestess has turned her back on so, him? Two things, or on 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 the thing. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. go ahead, Michael. Two things. One, uh, absolutely, I I get what you're saying, Austin. Because like, actually, for maybe the first half of this book, even though it seemed kind of clear that the the nameless ones were in some way, maybe, probably, uh, the old powers from. Uh, the previous book, I was like, is this, is this some kind of misdirect? Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. the, the feeling was so different. I was like, is this going to, is I might, am I being led to believe that there's a connection here, but actually this is going to turn out to be something different. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, And then second of all, 
my understanding of what was going on, I mean, I do agree also that it does feel like Ged is OP, uh, but it also feels like the function that Ged is serving, I mean, it, 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 putting us in, straight into kind of like young adults uh, uh, mind frame here, uh, Ged is serving a kind of didactic function because Hugely. how I... Because how I understand uh, what is happening with the powers is like they don't need uh, her, they don't need Arha, they don't really need this as much as uh, one might think because they have the God King, right? That like there's a way right. in which oh, that's right. yeah, sure. That that's right. also that, my that is his big speech, yeah, yeah. right? His big speech is basically when you worship the the destructive force that is this thing, not literally even. The just the right. the cultural impetus towards destruction and and conquest and when you build altars to violence, it goes bad for you and it goes bad for right. everybody around you and that's them too. You can't get them out of here. I agree well, with that. I, I mean, I think I'm I'm with Michael in the sense of and I took that much more literally. Maybe Michael, you do mean this literally, but I think that my understanding is that the God King is the nameless one's new faith. Yes. Mm. And that she is just the remainder of the old faith. Right. And also maybe if she was not, again, um, you know, seduced by the Promethean fire of atheism, (laughs) that she might actually have more power than she did before. I mean, think about how Ged is completely depowered. We need to actually talk about the plot of this thing. We do. But (laughs) uh, Ged is totally depowered until she fundamentally makes the decision to turn her back on the thing. Which means it's the power of both of them who's like making this orb of vulnerability and he's the person who is directing it. Now, can we be critical of that? Yes. This is where I I don't think it's like main character syndrome issues here, right? I think there's a more complicated... I, point be made, but yeah, like, I just don't think that it's. I, I just don't think that it's. 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 You know, coming off of Wizard of Earthsea, where what we get is, and part of this is we've read Wizard of Earthsea, right? And that. Yeah, and that. Right. Get is drowning dragons left and right. Which, by the way, uh, that to me is the. Uh, in retrospect, I left. We left that that last conversation with that big kind of back and forth on is there war in this book, and we mm-hmm. focused on the wrong chapter. If you would hit me with what about that time he was drowning all those dragons. Yeah. On behalf, I would be like, oh yeah, there was war in this book for sure, um, uh, because that that sequence is just a big it's battle sequence. Dragons war, yeah, on the bo- longest <laughs> yes. foreign market. <laughs> I think, go to the I think when you, it out. I think when you're doing on on behalf of a of a nearby uh, social group, or whatever, yeah, right. when you're doing it for the people of the 99 Isles or whatever, yeah. it, or the 90 Isles, then it becomes war. Um, yeah, probably. Anyway. Uh, yeah, we, we should get back to the plot here and, and wrap back around to this stuff. But I guess but, but what the I, thing I was saying is when you're drowning dragons in the previous book, um, and, and that is what what a recent wizard can do, uh, yeah. and you're and you're having the conversation with with that, and you're you're you know turning into a bird. The the they do a good job towards the end of this book of giving an outsider's perspective on Ged's magic, but Ged fundamentally has access to a sort of power that does not exist for Tadar. And that is, I think, Le Guin's point, yeah. fundamentally, mm-hmm. right? But in the doing, Kassel also doesn't have uh, uh, control of this power, despite being the priestess of, of the God King. The God yeah. Le Guin is, the narrator is, dism- and Ged is dismissive of these things, as uh, this sort of power as being real 
in the same way. It does move socially. It does I, I, it does organize culture around it, but it yes. cannot turn you into a bird. And that's it that's turn you into a bird. and that's real. That's like an ontological difference in what power is, right? But because the, but I think that the like, wizard science atheism can turn well, you into a is, bird. It is because the nameless right. ones, I think, are a vision of power that is is it is is exclusive of turning yourself into a bird. Yes, I yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, totally. Like that is except right. that last time it wasn't because last time it was it's a little guy who who came out of the nether realms and <laughs> scarred you physically and but confronted you on a boat. Made that happen. That's not part yes, of the but natural, that's not a and, desire of the unnamed ones, right? I don't know that that's true. I think that I I feel I feel confident asserting that that is a. Ged pulls an Im- something out of the unnamed ones, right? And individuates it in a way that the unnamed ones do not seem to work in any other capacity in the world so far across. There's books, so much right? in that book that's about how much it wants to get out. That you opened a door and it crawled out. He pulled it out. It's for summon. He summons the dead. He summons. I mean, he summons. No, he's, sum, he's trying to summon the woman, and <laughs> yeah. and the creature takes that opportunity. Elfarin, the fair. Yes, Elfarin, the fair. I know. Yeah, I know uh-huh. who's getting summoned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it takes that opportunity to do that, and then it guards the way. You know, there, there's. It's active. Right. It's an active part of this, and I think you're right. It's part of Ged and all of that. But anyway, I don't think I don't that think this so. stuff is. I don't is, think it is active. I'm going. I'm. I'm. I'm yeah, holding we, we are, firm on this. We, within, uh, as am I. <laughs> I think that it is fairly active in its in its in its pursuits here. You know, it, it wants to take away. it wants to take over Ged and use its body. Yeah. Use his body. It does. That's it does. it's yeah. active. You know, but only after being pulled from the thing. I just I I. But the point being is, I think that there's something. I think Michael's right. That right. It's two different visions, mm-hmm. and you're a hundred percent right, Austin. That like the narrative framework here is like the atheist science. It of, is of Earthsea wizardry versus. This other thing, but this, the, the, this, because this is a story about someone escaping from an abusive religion, which is also addiction right. or an abusive family, or an, you know, th- yeah. there's a version of that story that is that is about escaping a a, a a place of repression and pain and suffering. Yeah, and um, that's the metaphorical read. I, but yes. I think, like in terms of like the literal reading here, I think it is truly that the old powers of the earth do not want power to be individuated ever, and. Earthsea wizardry is only about individuated power. power. Right. You need a speaking person to make the thing go. And the unnamed ones covet power and they push it through social structures, but power never hits people. Like the God King doesn't have magic. Right. right, As you're talking about. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But they they don't have magic because that is the magic system. Right. Right. They 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 expelled magic from Karg. Right. Yes. Right. Right. Yes. They've absorbed it all. Well, that, is, that is my cool. favorite my favorite little maneuver in this book is that the ring that supposedly brings peace, which is actually my least favorite thing in the book, except I guess we never see that it brings peace. Yeah, uh, we don't. But we don't actually, we do see that it brings peace. It brought, or it brings, it brings unity. It brought it in being destroyed. When that ring is destroyed is like the first pebble going down the hill that will become the boulder of the Kargat Empire, right? That by destroying the, the lost rune, uh, the the we learn that this ring mm-hmm. uh, was uh, was you know the what's the actual name of the ring? The, it's the ring of Aerith Ak- Akbe. Yeah, Aerith Akbe. Aerith Akbe was a wizard. Was a wizard and a king, uh, and uh, someone who who you can kind of trace the God King's line back to. Um, uh, kind of smashed uh, Aerith Akbe's wizard staff and sundered this ring. 
and then it was his descendants became the the priest kings, and then the the descendants of the priest kings. One of them became the god king, uh, and it's and then the the four islands of of Karg united, mm-hmm. and it's like oh, it actually does serve its function when the word is destroyed. Uh, mm-hmm. The Kargs can can, which I think fits your reading here, right? Which is well, which is the, also that is social power, yeah. right? Well, there's a little bit of a weirdness because, like, Ged clearly believes, and, and we'll 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 get back on track in a second. Weirdly <laughs> enough, you've just summarized like the next big thing that we learned, right? yeah, which is yeah. like the structure of of Cargad. But Ged's big th- big thing is that once the whole thing is unified, it's actually going to heal the breach between the USSR and the, uh-huh. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, between Cargad uh, and uh, um, uh, Earthsea, right? Mm-hmm. The inner inner isles, right? Like. That you're you're right that it gave a delimited empire right, but there will be no more empire presumably. Once he goes back to the Once, great men and the merchants and the princes with the magic ring, yeah, the world will be healed. And it's kind of I mean it's a second swing. It's why it's interesting that the uh, that uh, the left hand of darkness is in in between here too, right? Because yeah. we get what is essentially a narrative, what is sometimes read as not essentially, but what is sometimes read as a narrative about. Uh, America and the USSR and the different complications between them mm-hmm. and how they deal with problems and how uh, someone who understands that through the the power of individual human dignity might be able to heal that breach, right? right. right. Um, and um, ultimately, by making a... The only thing that uh, that beats out hegemony is a bigger hegemony, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's like when you read Spinoza and he's like, well, the only thing to, to beat up God would be a bigger God. It'd be a bigger, you know? tougher oh, God. Oh, let's yeah, just yeah, invent yeah. a bigger God. All mm-hmm. right, I got it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but that kind of thing happens. So it's interesting to see that being kind of re redone in a different kind of way mm-hmm. here. But let's take it back down to to actually like Arha level because as we're talking about, she learns about this, right? We get these things about Kargad as she's growing up. And ultimately, she has um, these kind of three authority figures in her life. Uh, Manon, who we've already talked about, her kind of eunuch, holy slave kind of thing, right? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Michael, as you said, a character type yeah. in this kind of thing in 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 religious stories in particular because historically lots of religions have had figures like this right Mm -hmm. um so you get that who's also the only source of sort of like touch in her life Mm -hmm. parentage parentage in any way Um, grows up with him right so he he's older Mm -hmm. than her but uh they are inseparable and he does everything she says uh but as you were saying austin really kind of is there to manage her Mm-hmm. Um, and manage her emotions and to make her be the priestess that she is supposed to be reincarnated. Right. If she's doing a sort of cultural reproductive labor, mm-hmm. he is doing the personal reproductive labor of making sure that like her, at least some of her personal needs are met. I guess her psychological needs are met and that her basic needs are met so that she mm-hmm. can go do the dances, yeah. which reassert the power over the gods and in the world. Right. Yeah, and it and it Not reads over, as over, both kind and manipulative, yeah. right? Like uh, totally both right. of those those things are pretty clear on the page. We get, oh gosh, I don't have the name written down. We get the the God King priestess, or no, is she Castle, the priestess? Castle is the God King priestess, and then the one of the the twin Thar? brothers. Thar yeah. is the twin brother. Thar, uh-huh. Yeah, who rules? Yeah. Shout out to Thar. And Thar is like the stern but but cool like <laughs> older sister. You know? Yeah. Yeah, tells you all the cool stories. Get you yeah. high behind the Walmart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, tells you where the security cameras don't uh, don't see things like that. Right? Yes, but but kind of enculturates her into 
the actual like place of the tombs, right? This this uh, area that they all live in, which is there's a labyrinth under there, like a huge twenty mile labyrinth that is just like twisting and turning down underneath um, the place of the tombs, and you can see down into basically every part of it by peepholes, by spy holes that are hidden all around. Which is what a cool idea! It's so what an good. idea that would like make a little kid be like, yeah, that's yeah, cool. it's it's yeah. the perfect kids book idea for sure. I mean, so just uh, uh, you already talked about video game connections, Austin. Mm -hmm. But the one that I really thought of here that is not quite a video game connection, but is, oh, it's tantalizing to imagine. <laughs> the, the middle part of this book taps into this incredible fantasy, this incredible, beautiful child fantasy of what if you lived in a Zelda dungeon? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, and you could just look, what if Zelda, what if Link was always running into dungeon forever and you could just like open up a little window and look in and see what yeah. he's doing in there? What's he doing uh, in there today? The ultimate idol game. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it, and so Thar does that. Ultimately, Thar dies, has contracts a quote unquote wasting disease mm. um, and passes away. But but not before kind of, of implicitly um, warning Arha of a bunch of different things, which is that the the faith that they are part of you know that that arha is the priestess of is the oldest one mm -hmm. right and it's the weakest and then there's the the twin gods right and that one is still present but but weaker and then there's the god king priestess which is the most powerful and it seems that thar at the end of her life is being like look you have a delicate balance because you could be killed right like your yeah. faith is is powerless and it is only through some sort of basic um social <laughs> dependency that you're even here mm -hmm. uh, and you have to be aware of Kossel, right and then we get Kossel, who's like the evil stepmother right and who is like bad atheism right um which yeah is, oh which is just great. pure power the way that it's no yeah, belief in faith that, that line of like it's 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 one of these lines it's like simple on its face and is like a line that that would be written if it wasn't written already you know had to be written is that the only thing she worships is power and it's like oh yeah that's yeah. it that's the whole character all right yeah, yeah wrap it up um, and I love the way uh, into that version, which is that Penthe is also, uh, you know, maybe not an atheist, but like isn't moved. There's this great scene early on where where uh, Arha and Penthe are hanging out and uh, Penthe is like, damn, I hate, you know, I feel bad for you. You got to be here forever. Like this place sucks. Like you have all this, this pressure on you. I wish I could just be like a baker's wife. You know, I wish I could go live in the fields. And, <laughs> yeah. and Ar it hits Arha that there are different worldviews that like other people yeah. Whole different, like, uh, uh, you did you tell the German story off air? Did you tell the, this, was that before we hit play? Yeah, that, that was before recording. That that you, okay. grew up, you grew up with a little, with a little boy who didn't know German spoke German? Yeah. <laughs> there is a person I went to school with who once in front of a class when our German exchange student mentioned that she had started dreaming in English, <laughs> asked her what she normally dreamed in, and she said, German? And he said, in all sincerity and seriousness, you mean German people speak German? <laughs> because it turned out he uh, had taken what he had seen in the movies. Mm -hmm. where the German for Red October. Yeah, where, where German people oh, speak so English no, no, wait German a second. accents yeah. as the natural state of the German people oh, at that point in time. It's so funny. It's, it's so great. funny. But it's that's so this. Wonderful. That's Arha being like, wait a second. 
Germans speak German. Other people don't want to live inside of the, the, the monastery and serve gods forever. They want to go live lives. A mind blown, opened wide, and then realizes that Kossel is like a further down version of that, which is like, not only can there be other worldviews, not only can there be atheism, but there can but be atheism. <laughs> right. <laughs> there can be an atheism that is like all the way to power hungry, which is, of course, going back to what y'all were saying before. Right. Which is like, this is how the nameless ones move now. This is Kossel is the most the biggest embodiment of the nameless one ideology that there is. Right. Notably, notably, yeah. Kossel is a uh, transposition of Oskill. Mm. Ooh. Boom, 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 boom. The. So here's a question for you. Here, like a double question. What was the name of the uh, the old gal that uh, Samwise Gamgee wanted to marry? Oh, Rosie. Rosie. Mm. Rosie Cotton. Yep, that's Pintha to me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She she's like alternate, like cursed world. You know, Rosie Cotton. Okay. Well, she's a, yeah. It's like she's in a horrible social structure, but she's kind of just there to chill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love I the the point at the end where where. It's like she might have to become the fucking high priestess now, but that might be good. Like someone who wanted to be a baker's wife, that might be good for the yeah. priesthood. The only one who can have the role is the person who doesn't want it. Classic. Yeah, that's all right. Or she ran away, right? Because I do love that. I do love yes. that she leaves that yeah. door open for her. She's like, or maybe she got away in the mess of it. Maybe she just ran, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The uh, but the other thing that I like a lot too is that uh, Kossel's power hunger. It's all the things that you, you know that you've been talking about, Austin, right? Uh, She's all those things, but, and she is a high priestess, but I don't think it's the high priestess, right? She's just the high priestess here because there's other ones we know in other locations. Yeah, I presume because so, the God King's true power is in like the big city, right? Or not true power. Right, but, with the God King. Right, right. right. Yeah. So I presume that and that's so, what the high priestess is. Yes, she's the high priestess of this location, the worst backwater of the God King's empire, right? Uh She's like just doing maintenance on these other like faiths. And this is the location where they all have to like hang out together. Uh, Mm -hmm. I like that a lot too, that that she's kind of the high priestess of literally nothing. Um, But that doesn't keep her from having all of these like evil desires and things like that, right? Like, what is she impacting? She's got two dudes. Yeah, she's got, like her guard is two guys. Which really, which honestly says a lot, right? Because our only got one. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Arha supposed to be the, the high priestess in this whole place. Yeah. You only got the one. Half guys. And I don't even think that uh, uh half the number of guys. Yeah, and please. I don't, Let's be careful. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. That's not what I mean. That's why I wanted to clarify. Yes, I appreciate it. Literally half the number. Uh, the um, And I don't think that, do the twin gods have any? I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. I don't think it comes up, right? Arha doesn't have any dudes. Yeah. Hmm. Everyone I likes Thar, though, is my vibe. So, you know, everyone like is like, yeah, Thar, Thar can handle her own shit. You know? Uh, we I don't... do like that that's something going on here, right? Is that the God King is the new power structure and the, the the you know, powers of the old earth faith is the the eternal priestess actually is like the center of that faith. And that's like the conflict here is between yeah. new, new faith and the oldest faith. Everyone's basically ignoring the twin gods. It's like, all right, well, they're just over there. Yeah. Twin gods keeping their heads down. We can get yeah. through this. We can last another era. <laughs> yeah, we'll be all right. Um, That's why they're twin like gods. That. One of them is attending to the 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 nameless ones. One of them is attending to the god king. They got it. Mm-hmm. They got it covered. That's right. They could, they they fight back to back. Yeah. But I do love this maneuver, right? This is the maneuver where it 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 the thing that we're talking about here the 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 kind of usurpation usurpation of power. 
the move from the nameless ones to the God King is where I was like, I cannot stop thinking about the lecture about, you know, where does, where does your loyalty to the sovereign lie? Is it in the bloodline or is it mm-hmm. in the abstract? Because the maneuver here has been um, from, from the abstract or, or from the idea of the nameless ones to a particular embodiment who passes that, that power down through the bloodline from one one god king to another, and then the the you know the high priestess is this this thing where it's kind of like a third version of that, which is here is a person who is reborn eternally. One of the big questions I had early mm-hmm. was just like, okay, what do they get by having someone who is reborn eternally as the same person? What 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 utility does that provide the culture in saying instead of saying a new high priestess is chosen and saying they're always arha, you know? Yeah. Um, because the book seems skeptical that that is actually happening, um, mm-hmm. uh, but does but but does suggest that there is a cultural power that comes with. Yeah, one is that, that the, I mean, one that immediately comes to mind, right, is that she that structurally she is the eaten one. Right. She's not a person. Mm-hmm. She is just the emanation of the unnamed ones in the world. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's a pretty powerful one to say that you're, you're the embodiment of your faith is just a body. Mm-hmm. Let's, I mean, and we can flip back to the previous book too, right? But like the instantiation of the nameless ones there is in this like shadow creature thing, right? And there's only one, you know, at mm-hmm. least for Ged, at least for that. So there's a weird echo of that going on here that the faith practice itself, at least the oldest faith for the unnamed ones, is. There's one person, it is eternal, and it's the same person over and over again. Which is also uh, the it's core... Also it's soulless, right? It's also the core cultural differentiator that they make mm-hmm. between themselves and the Western world, right? Yeah. Is yeah. we, our souls, get reincarnated. We get to come back, right? That we we are yeah. we are sold people. Um, sold, S-O-U-L-D, or yeah. <laughs> S-O-U-L-E-D. We have souls. Uh, uh, yep, sold. Uh, uh, whereas, <laughs> whereas these these poor Westerners, they live and then they die and that's it. They don't have yeah. souls. They don't get to come back. They don't get reincarnated. And in fact, some of them get imprisoned and we draw cool paintings of them on our, in our labyrinth. They're, they're soulless <laughs> spirits trapped forever. Yeah, she gets this um, image that someone gives her, maybe Castle, I don't remember, of of when they're having this faith discussion, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what's one of these major religious differences? And she says, um, you know, that their souls just, like, linger around and wail. <laughs> and I love the writing of Arha here because she, it, it's such a, a, you know, a teen thing to do. She grabs that as a principle of faith mm-hmm. in that language of, like, wailing souls, you know, for a short time or whatever, that shows up four or five times over the course of the book, and she's asserting it, that it must be true. Yeah. And it's such great character writing because it's it, it needs to be true for her faith to make any kind of sense, right? And for her to have the mandate of, you know, what we would call, like, the mandate of heaven, right? Yeah, In a yeah. different mm-hmm. context. But but the mandate of reality, right? It only makes sense if if the other people are unsold and broken, in their presentation in the world. And then these two like perspectives run into each other. Right. And ultimately her faith tradition is obliterated. And I, and that's like the less thrilling part of the book, I think. Um, but, but that's, you know, a major part of it, I guess the, the major thing that's happening here too, in this, we're kind of at the midpoint of the book right now is that she, Arha is having some, some, 
misgivings about her face. She's getting managed a little bit. Once um, her, uh, I, I was going to say Thecla. Gosh, wow. the, the twin gods, uh, Thar. Thar. Once Thar dies, it really becomes kind of a contest of uh, almost a cold war, if you will, between Kossel and her, right? There, there's a little bit of um, maneuvering engagement. Kossel takes her. Is it Kossel who takes her down into the labyrinth? It is. I think that actually yeah. happens before yeah. Thar dies. Yeah, that's Kossel. It's right there around the same yeah. time, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's just before, but that's where Kossel takes her down into the labyrinth to have her uh, decide what to do with right. the prisoners right. that have been sent from Awabath, which is, I think it's from Awabath, but that's the, that's the like cultural center, right? That's the capital city of, right. of the empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as part of uh, Arha's duties is that when these prisoners are sent, she is the one who decides how they are to be fully executed again there's a lot of severian happening here <laughs> uh and castle like takes her down under the guise of a tutorial like this is this is the thing that you need to learn about doing now um but she also does it as her own kind of power play to get her her giggles in because arha doesn't really know her way around the labyrinth as well as castle does and so castle is kind of like showing her up a little bit like putting her in her place <laughs> uh yeah and then like sort of forcing her into a, a very uh, like cruel way of dispensing with these prisoners, right? Like they're, they're, they've been uh, tortured already, like their tongues have been cut out, and then she uh, has them essentially starved to death uh, in, in like the dark under tombs. Yeah. And Kossel kind of uh, like works her into that right yeah. like she she gets her to be cruel as a way of performing her authority in front of Kossel even though Kossel has like set all this up mm-hmm. and and it, and a thing that can't be understated here is that it is affirming right because she is this is her job right, right. she is she is soulless she has been her soul has been eaten right she is she is one of the few people in the in her faith right arha who is different because she is given over to um the 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 nameless ones right she's this kind of vessel for their power and the only way of asserting that power in this place is by taking sacrifices and doling out punishments that's it uh-huh. that is her job and it's also and doing dances an act of um, implication right where it's like right. you are now you've now done the last thing that you haven't gotten we have the responsibility that we we haven't put on you is about taking life, right? And yeah. and determining, yeah. and in doing that, um, you're part of this place now, and yeah. and the the power, the structure of this place in a way that is harder to wash away. Um, and this this will come to haunt her, you know. Yeah, yeah is, it is haunting as a as a thing because once you do it, you can't not have done it, right? Yeah. It, it is it is a part of life, and I I actually really like that. I mean, across all of her work, Le Guin is very. Uh, interested in this question, right? Like, what happens to to what happens to you in your life once you have done something and you can't take it back? Yeah. Um, this is also I I'm I'm not trying to go back to the well here, but it it really does matter that this is also the core of the left hand of darkness. Um, what happened in your life and how do you move away from it? And is it should you move away from the things that you did that you perhaps don't agree with? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know. Uh. Well, I'm not going to get into it, but the uh, I, I was going to do like a, a discussion of Estraven here, but that's a big part of Estraven's whole story. 
Um, and so I, and I think that's great. I think this is the kind of, when I said earlier, where I'm kind of a mark for the melancholy stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like th this, this is like the money of literature to me, right? Like this is what makes it go for me for the most part are human actions taken in the context of, of inhuman processes and how we think about them. And I, I don't, I can't get much more better for my money here in terms of, um, what we're going for, but she does that. And then she just kind of lives her life for a little while, right? She's part of the process. Yeah. Um, she starts to investigate very heavily the labyrinth. She kind of masters the labyrinth. She understands every piece of it. She starts to dedicating... the Zelda dungeon fantasy. No. Like, what if I got to yeah. crawl up into the attic and look at all the treasure chests and just yeah. hang out with yeah. them? It's a real, like, oh, it's constantly. spooky, but I can master the spooky because I, it's mine. There's a lot of, like, mm -hmm. and it's my space, right? It's, yeah. <laughs> and it's Facebook. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and, that, and, and, and but that's like thrilling, and it's Twitter, and it's, it's Twitter, it's Literally, live journal. It uh, is her. It is. It is like yeah. she goes into the place where there's no light allowed, and she has to learn that you turn left and then right and then left to get to the painted hallway. It's all. It's all the um the Lost Woods of Zelda, where it's uh -huh. like, all right, you got to go left, 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 and then turn right twice. And if you remember that, that then you won't fall into the death pit. <laughs> Um, but I also think this is like a, you know, right, I didn't grow up as a young girl, so I can't speak to that, really. But I've done a lot of reading around, um, you know, the uh, the different frameworks, especially in play, right, mm. that are given to, uh, that are part of gendered uh, expectations, right? And it, and it has the same kind of rhyme with uh, the way that dollhouses get talked about in that literature, mm. which is like, dollhouses are... Uh, things where uh, young girls who often feel like they have no control in their lives because there are such immense social pressures on everything that they're doing, mm -hmm. uh, where they can assert a kind of control over a space, right? So I've, I've read several That's things that analyze dollhouses sure. around that. And this kind of rhymes with that too, right? Of, of She is someone who has no control over her life whatsoever. And this is a place of, at least within that framework, unfettered freedom she can yeah. go down there and do whatever she wants and she has knowledge that other people do not have right and i imagine that is so for all children i think that's alluring right mm -hmm. is the the capability to grab onto things you know we talked about ged and learning all the names of the dinosaurs last time right i think this is a similar kind of like youth fantasy that might be gendered and might not right but of i have having, a place that is my I have a place. place yeah that yeah, i know that you don't understand of. Yeah, yeah, my parents don't know, you know, I was not a dollhouse kid, but I certainly was a Ghostbusters firehouse kid. And I knew oh, that hell firehouse. Oh, yeah, I was a Ghostbusters firehouse <laughs> You know, kid. I knew that firehouse in and out for sure, which yeah. is a dollhouse. It's a dollhouse, basically, yes. except there's ghosts. Yes. the Ghostbusters are there. So it that makes tags where you could like put uh -huh. your Ghostbusters yeah. or even your Ninja Turtles yeah. in. Totally, yeah. 100%. Hell yeah. Um, Ninja Turtles lived it. Mine, I got secondhand from someone. Sure. And it was melted. That's cool. Like the though. corner was melted. Like it'd been like put too close to like a space yeah. A fire ghost did that. It was even cooler. <laughs> yeah. It was like, oh, what happened? Yeah, it was rad. Um, I, during this section of the book, I, I kept thinking about and expecting it doesn't go here because, and I'm gonna I'm gonna gently push back on something about what she's doing down there versus the dollhouse play or the fire truck yeah. play or any of the gendered or ungendered play in culture is yeah. often about reproducing roles mm -hmm. right and yeah. and uh, and she is being reproduced oh, oh well, let me let me just one, one thing i want to say i i'm not saying that it is about necessarily reproducing roles i'm saying it is about possession and uh capability for mastery. totally i guess I'm what saying. i'm what i'm trying to figure out or what i'm trying to draw a line is and then there's one way in which is different 
which is that she leaves this book going, I don't know how to be a person in this world. They didn't teach me. They didn't let me play in the ways that would have allowed me to go out into the world and engage with merchants. You know, I don't know. Yeah, she can't describe a rabbit. She can't describe a rabbit. Exactly, right? Because she never got to play pretend and be a rabbit or learn about the rabbits or go, you know, draw rabbits or do any of the rabbit activities, read storybooks about rabbits. She didn't get to do all the, the stuff that is... That is that kind of uh, cultural reproduction mm-hmm. happening because she is doing this other role. You know, she's she's put in this other role. And the thing that I kept expecting to happen in some way was the idea that, like, <sighs> reincarnation, she's not Arha, right? She's not the the soul re- reincarnated forever. You know, she says, she says somewhere in here that, like, all human beings are forever reborn, but only she, Arha, will be reborn forever as herself. A hundred times she has learned the ways and turnings of the labyrinth and had come to the hidden room uh, at last, right? That like uh, again and again, I I I, uh, I get my old knowledge back, and like yeah. I don't think I think the book is skeptical of that, but but I kept waiting for it to be um, uh, to believe that even if they are different people over a thousand years and another thousand years in the reproduction of the person in the in the uh, going through the same motions, they can almost all act as one. You know that like oh. All the Arhas throughout time have gone through this terrible process of being kidnapped as a child and then being, yeah. you know, brought through this process. And like, as such, there is a sort of cultural memory or a sort of mm-hmm. there's a, a shared thing here. And there's a little bit of that, but it doesn't. It never really leans into that. And instead, what it leans into is the 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 absence that they just don't have the rest of the world to to connect to, or at least she mm. doesn't in this time. Maybe the past Arhas, the deep past Arhas did, right? Maybe the deep well, I mean, past I Arhas guess, uh, were at the center of culture in a different way, so. I, I guess, yeah, I, I guess, I think probably part of like the spur there, right, is like, this is a book written for 12-year-olds, number one. Yeah, totally. And, it, you know, like that that's part of it. We do have to think about that. But the other is like, no other Arha would have ever had that question posed to them. Right. Totally. Presumably, right? It just never would have come up. Yeah. And so, like, you would be arrested in that first part, which is, like, how compelling as, like, a child, right? To be, like, you are the same as every other Arha who's ever been before. You will all come to this room, yeah. and only you can come to this room, right? It's your room And actually, room, I love the only. kind of poetry yeah. of that, that even if you are not, even if it's fake, right? Even if it not, you know, you've used the word skeptical, you know, which I think is yeah. the appropriate word, yeah. right? But, like, I think that's right. I only, like, I, and I only say skeptical because I know there's more books. I know right, Tanara's so in at know. least one of those other books. So I don't know where we're going to wrap back around to, you know? But yeah, if, I would, if it was just this book, I would not say skeptical. I would say fake. Yeah. yeah. But but I think the book is saying, look, this is all fake. You mm-hmm. know, there's a there's a place later in the in the book where she's like, and she appealed to the gods who did not answer because they never do, right? Yep. And I think that's the narrative just being like, well, it's all fake. Okay, whatever. I, I liked it to be a little bit more mystical than that. But I do love the implication that even that the unnamed ones have created a structure right. that even in the absence of speaking as like, you know, the god Torm would speak to, you know, <laughs> to a priest in the Forgotten Realms, right? Some like real, you know, fantasy-ass fantasy bullshit. Even in the absence of that, you build a structure that builds the priestess for you, so you don't even have to pay attention to it. Right. 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 And you and that's what the labyrinth is for. Yeah. It's for building an arha, not for uh, reincarnating an arha. And that that is poetry. Yeah, that's me. great. I that's love my, that. some of my favorite stuff here for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, so yeah. So then kills the prisoner. Has the prisoners killed? Uh, Thar dies a little after that. 
R.I.P. Thar. R.I.P. Yeah. Thar. And and Thar, as you not said, forgotten except I didn't write your name down. <laughs> and as you said, some of her like final instruction is like, and we get we it's it's kind of fun because because early we get we get Arha saying, oh. Thar told me without telling me, don't trust Castle. Castle's going to come for you. And then later, mm-hmm. we get Arha as Tanar telling that to Ged in a way that's like, oh, and here's what she told me. Here's the story <laughs> yeah. of our people. Uh, yeah. uh, we get that story later, which is fun. Uh, but like, basically, it's like, look out. You know, she could make a play. She could kill you yeah. in broad, da- on broad daylight and maybe get away with it. So like, eh, be, be cautious out there. Be careful how I, you move. I love the way that that is phrased, too. Uh, she could kill you at the foot of the altar. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. That's well, it's cool. like n- notable. This is, I think this is worth saying because it's a great image. Uh, the primary altar of the faith here is just a big empty throne. Yes, right. Yes! It's good. It's good. Like it is. It is so good that like the the emblem of this religion is the worship of an empty throne that no one is allowed to touch. Yeah. With like a well, can, she can sit. Oh, she can. She, she sits on the stairs. Right? She can on sit the on like stairs. the top stair approaching. What a the giant cool fucking throne. image! It's, right, it's like this like little girl sitting on the top. Yeah. There's massive uh, throne behind her. Right. Yeah. There is one That's of the one cool. of the drawings in this book i guess it's not of the throne but it's her doing one of the dances um uh for for this is on page 168 and this is the moment i was like oh it's glorantha because she's doing this dance and there are all these figures around her including babies floating around and those are the spirits that that are there for the dance um and then off in the back in the back left are the robed figures that are the other priestesses but every oh, all of these yeah. figures around her are the spirits. Uh, she danced for the unseen spirits of the dead and the unborn. And as she danced, the spirits crowded the air around her, following the turn and spin of her feet and the slow, sure gestures of her arms. She sang the songs whose words no man understood, which she had learned syllable by syllable long ago from Thar. A choir of priestesses hidden in the dusk behind the great double row of columns echoed the strange words after her, and the air in the vast ruinous room hummed with voices, as if the crowding spirits repeated the chants again and again. Uh, it's so good. And there's like a little bit of get and the, and the goats here crowding yeah. around her, you know, mm-hmm. getting closer and closer. And the repeating of syllables that are just like, this is Ged writing the words without knowing without knowing he's writing or being pulled to rewrite and yeah. keep writing, you know? Um, and we great. find out later, I, do we know this, this? I don't think we find out till the end that they that they're all illiterate, right? We learn that at the end where it gets like, do yeah. you do you don't do writing so much over here, huh? And yeah. she's like, no, and it's so she, evil. It's a it's a sin to yeah. write. Yeah, <laughs> and, that's, and that makes it a lot more sense how she learned it syllable by syllable, mm-hmm. right? And I love how that sutures together the the unnamed ones in the Kargad lands have constructed a world in which none of the power of the inner aisles can function, right? right? Right. And the first one is obliterating literacy. Yeah. Because then, like, no question of proper mm. names or names behind names or anything like that. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the capability to do some some comparison and go hang out with Karim Aramaran or whatever his name was, right? <laughs> oh, the in one the, whose in, name is only written once and then uh, yeah. no no other referent in any other human language, yeah. Yeah, it means nothing. Yeah. He's got his big tower full of names of shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. that guy rules. He, no, they, first thing you gotta do is cut out the possibility of that guy. <laughs> get him out of if here. If you want to create, you know, an evil empire. Mm-hmm. You gotta get rid of that dude. God, you know, uh, like so, so much um, of contemporary fantasy would be better just by importing that dude. Agreed. <laughs> it would make nearly everything better. I would have watched Game of Thrones if it had one of those dudes. Yeah, uh, a dude at, with all the names of everything. A dude who has a name. Yeah, uh, that might be in Game of Thrones. I haven't read those books. 
It's so like it's so easy me. to imagine. No, no. Michael said, eh. There, there are some characters who approach that character type, okay. but no one who is quite that. Gotcha. And like, I think the, the thing that is closest is actually a thing that has only gotten expounded in the television series in also an extremely unsatisfying way. So who knows what the actual books would do if the books were to exist? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, in yeah, some bro. sort of alternate reality in which those books were ever produced? Mm. Yeah. They'll get there one that, day, right? Uh, let's do some theorizing. Yeah. Do you think it's going to be a scenario kind of like uh, like um, a Harlan Ellison last dangerous visions where it's only after Martin's death that someone comes up and like scraps these things together? They get Brandon Sanderson to like just yeah. hammer the, the pieces together. Yeah, that sounds likely yeah. to me. Or what if they've been written? And he's just like playing. He's he's, he's playing he's being a little jester. It? Yeah, he's being a little. Yeah. Uh-huh. Chester's privilege. <laughs> Chester's trick. Joker's I trick. I mean, that would be a Joker's I, trick. Jester's privilege. These are different. I should I shouldn't yeah, confuse them. They are two. different. Yeah. Uh yeah, this is a Joker's trick for sure. Uh, uh I think that would be delightful. It'd be very mm-hmm. funny. Yeah. Gotcha. I've done this all time. Yeah, and they're I'm good. Like, <laughs> pretending to write about football. I, I fed I fed HBO the absolute wrong plot outline <laughs> on purpose. I mean, that is, you know, um, I, I cannot imagine what it might feel like to have to have fed them a plot outline for it to have gotten the response it got, and then to be like, now go finish those books. Yikes! Uh-huh. Oh yeah, yeah, brutal. You gotta go back to the drawing board on that one. Or do you have to double down and be like, I'm going to do it, but it's going to be good in my version. <laughs> People are going to like it when I do it. It was everything you liked about the last three seasons, but better. And everything you hated wasn't there. The, the end. end. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. We're at my favorite part of this book, I think. Okay. Which is she is hanging out down there. She's like, this is my spot. I got all my little secret corners. I'm learning the ins and outs. Uh, I just hang out here in general and have a good time. And then um, there is this moment that I think is so good where for the first time there is light in the dark. We need um, to say, because we did not say this. Yeah. In the undertune. Oh, sure. Yes. Which is kind of the big, it's almost like a cistern, imagine, right? This massive cavern yeah. that's kind of the entrance to the labyrinth. It's the most holy place. It's where yes. they bury all kinds of like weird shit. Presumably the bodies of the nameless ones are in there or something. Yeah, well, because there's the nine tombstones above it. Right. 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 Because right. that's the tombs, you know, what what they're about. These are the you ever noticed there's tombs themselves. There's nine nameless ones and also nine mm-hmm. runes on the ring of power. Mm-hmm. And also like nine kinds of magic in the last nine thing, kinds right? of magic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. Tap my forehead. Um nine nine nine. Nine nine nine. <laughs> Ice nine. Uh, uh but but point being is that this is the place you can you can have you can you can progress past the undertombs into the labyrinth, use a lantern all you want. Mm-hmm. If you want to. Yes. You can use a lantern all the way up to the iron door that leads to the undertombs. But light itself is is banished from the undertombs because the darkness is like the key to some of the power yeah. of the 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 old powers of the earth. And so even her, Arha, cannot use light right. in the undertombs. And that matters for the thing that you're about to say. It does. Because she's like, damn, 
I'm going to go to the painted room and look at those murals where the, who knows what those guys are. I don't know. I think that they're the, I think that they're the spirits of the soulless ones. I think that they are uh, uh, the damned who don't get to be reborn. They're stuck in there. There's cool paintings. of them. I'm going to go hang out there where the graffiti is and smoke a clove cigarette. Uh, and then she says, it says, as she approached it, oh, sorry. The painted room was in the labyrinth. This is on one, top of 179. The painted room was in the labyrinth, so she must pass through the cavern beneath the tombstones first. As she approached it down the slanting passage, a faint gray bloomed, a bare hint and glimmer, the echo of an echo of a distant light. She thought her eyes were tricking her, as they often did in that utter blackness. She closed them, and the glimmering vanished. She opened them, and it reappeared. She had stopped and was standing still. Gray, not black, a dull edge of pallor, just visible where nothing could be visible, where all must be black. She took a few steps forward and put out her hand to that angle of the tunnel wall, and infinitely faint, she saw the movement of her hand. And it continues thus. She is, there is someone down here who has light, and it is the most terrifying passage in the book, uh, or it's one of the more terrifying passages of the book. The idea, uh, and, and what follows is, Oh, Ged's here. Uh, the, there's a wizard down here. Um, and yeah. Hold on. Yeah. We don't know that this is Ged. No, no, no. no. I'm talking about right. throughout the, the next two chapters is when we, oh, okay. we become... You no, know, you're right. In the moment, and I think what works is from here through all of that, Ged is like a slasher movie villain. Like, yes. Th- this is one of the only times I've seen in fantasy where there is a successful reversal of the light is the dark, is the scary thing. Light is scary and dark is good. Because for, yeah. for Tanar, for, for Arha in this moment, that is, it's, it, she has to hit this, right? Le Guin has to convince, has to make the reader scared of seeing light in the dark because Arha is scared of seeing the light in the dark. We can't feel it as like yeah. a positive uh, or, or a, a, you know, the, the light of someone coming to save Arha or something. And it, I and think she's it done totally such a works. good job. Yeah. She's done such a good job and in essentially 70 pages. Yes, maybe totally. really, maybe well, fewer. And I think right. a key part of that is the like previous fifteen to twenty pages of this becoming the safe, yeah. you know, space for Arha, the teenager who needs a space that where Castle can't come and get her, where a yeah. space where Manon is allowed but only under her guidance. This gets to be her like careful. Uh, a distant, safe space from the rest of the outside world, and now it has been intruded. And obviously, the gods are there too, and that's important. Or the nameless ones are there too, and that's important. But what we've really had is it's the place where she gets to go be herself a little bit. Yeah, and it is, and, and now there is an intruder, and not just an intruder, but an intruder who has who has no, you know, uh, a desire to keep up with its rules around light and darkness and all that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like you uh, go up into the treehouse, right? You know, you've been going to every day, and you know what's up there. Huge Some guy. possum. No, oh, okay. massive uh, possum. possum. It's it's, yeah. it's made it's made it's made its little nest up there. Yeah, it's got two hundred babies on its back. Oh, okay. and now you got to fight with a possum. See who gets to you know what I mean. It's yeah. one of them a giant Dark Souls style possum fight with the two hundred <laughs> great possum. Yeah, yeah. Boom, boom, I thought it was going to be boom, that, boom. or you were going to say Ghost Face from Scream. Yeah, <laughs> that would also be scary. That would be scary. But that's how he. That's how this figure reads in this section, yeah. and it's just I, so good. And to, to be honest with you, I, I wasn't, I didn't know it was Ged. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, I didn't really know one way or the other. And I was like, maybe this is like more than one dude. Oh, sure. Some thieves have right. come. Yeah, some thieves. Yeah. Right? And I knew we were going to wrap around somehow to get, I knew we weren't getting out of here without a Ged. Yeah. You know what I mean? I knew he'd be in here. It was the, it was the marsh light for me. Uh, uh, yeah. the, like yeah. on this page, it's like, it was a soft weird light. Yeah, the, it was the weird light, right? It, it doesn't yeah. say that word on this page, but I was like, ah, yeah. Ged's here. Holy shit. 
And well, it's scary. a great moment too, because we only know it's the weird light because I mean, we know because we know it from the other book, right? But the only time we see that word, because it's not a word in Cargad, no, uh, is when he says it. Right. Ged says we are light yep. at some point. Yep. And I do yeah. like that he's speaking Kargish and he's like speaking whatever that language is. And then he says we are light in <laughs> in inner sea. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then you switch back into it because you had to learn the language. That's cool. Yeah. And this is, of course, also a moment of her coming to doubt the nameless ones. Why is well, he allowed to do this? Why didn't they just yeah. kill him where he stands? Mm-hmm. But I also love how this also uh, for a little bit whips around where she's like, oh, it's because I get to kill him yeah. because I am the instrument of the nameless yeah. ones. Right. There's yeah. a, uh, a real way like she she sees him. She is terrified. She is, uh, uh, you know, uh, just totally unsettled by the sacrilege of what he is doing. And also she's like, oh, because this is the other important thing. We, we learned this. Uh, it has been a long, long time since anyone from the inner aisles has come to rob Mm. the tombs, Mm -hmm. which used to be very frequent, right? That's Mm. the story that she's heard. (laughs) So it's like, this used to happen all the time. It's why the labyrinth exists. And they they killed them every time, basically. Right, right. And so they stopped showing up. Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly, because Arha at this point is, um, she knows she's kind of in this battle of wills with Kossel, uh, and she's feeling really unsettled by that. And so she takes this as kind of like, oh, this is this is Arha's moment to shine, mm-hmm. right? This is my moment to assert myself, to be uh, the, the first uh, incarnation of the one priestess and however long to have killed someone or like to killed an, to have killed an interloper in the tombs mm-hmm. yeah the yeah. the tomb they they build an arha yeah right they build like, an arha. Right. it's yeah. so good uh, a, a part of this that i want to for the reader or the listener who isn't a reader of this mm-hmm. one of the things i think is the most effective pieces of description in the book in in, ge- in a general sense not a particular set of prose uh, but like the way that the undertomb works and the way that all the labyrinths work are, are that you put a hand because you can't see down here you put a hand on the wall and and follow until there is like uh, an absence a gap where there's a, a passageway and you count those so you go like okay it's the third left so you, you come to the first stop and then you go to the second stop and then you go to, okay third left okay I turn left here right um and that means that like you're never just in the middle of the undertomb you're always on a wall you know you're never just in the middle of a passageway and so there are moments throughout this section where she has to like maneuver through the undertomb or around the figure in the undertomb or get him to like move into the, the past the iron door and into the labyrinth. And there is a real sense of being adrift in those moments where she can't, she has to trust that she knows she's going in the right direction. She's scared of getting like turned around. Because even just in the undertomb, there's a chance that she could get turned around in a way that she's, it's hard to like refine yourself, especially while the door to the labyrinth is still open. Right. And all of that sort of maneuvering that happens here is fantastic. And that's also part of why it's so disorienting to see the room lit by the light. Cause like she can see the space between the walls for the first time and can gauge that distance directly instead of indirectly by kind of putting it together, but based on how, how long the circumference around it is. And all of that stuff is just so good. And like really the, it, it, communicates to me that feeling of being like lost in the woods or a little too far away from the beach. You know, if you've swum out into the sea and you're like, ah, shit, I'm like, I'm a little too far out from the shore. I need to get back in there. That like, I don't have the safety, the grounding of the, of the land, you know, Mm -hmm. beneath me. I think that's just so effective. Uh, It's, it's really just wonderful. Also the undertomb, 
look sick as hell when there's light. <laughs> yes, it's filled yes, with like yes. kick-ass geodes and quartz <laughs> and crystals and yeah. all this stuff that has been <laughs> hidden forever. Yeah, uh, the nameless ones don't want you to see how cool it is when you set <laughs> yeah, off they, a light. It lights up all the crystals. This is my Earthsea YouTube video. And crystals yeah. the under the under the nameless ones don't want you to see. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, uh-huh. it's great. Which is interesting, right? Because uh-huh. it is. It's described as not, it's not just natural crystals and geodes. It's filigreed down here. It's ornamented. Mm-hmm. There was a time when someone was, I mean, maybe they did it in the dark, but maybe they didn't. Yeah. Time is long, you know? I like the idea of doing it in the dark. I like the idea of this like mm. powerful uh, artistic visual warship that yeah. happens completely in the dark. That's, that's fun. That is more interesting yeah, to me, I although, you know, uh, there there is a deep time to it that's also fun. Um. Could go you either know, way. Maybe, maybe it was a time when it wasn't just in the just darkness down here. Yeah. Well, because like the nameless ones, despite being nameless, do have a bunch of names, right? Like they are they are not just the nameless ones. They're also sometimes talked about as the gods of death or the god of death. They are sometimes talked about as being night, you know, and being the older powers, right? The powers, the the powers from before or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're that that's the not powers that would rule beneath the seas. Yeah. Right, the powers that would rule beneath the air. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and like part of the thing that's interesting there is like some of that overlaps and some of it doesn't perfectly overlap. The God of death doesn't have to be the God of darkness. The God of night doesn't even have to be the God of darkness. Right. But in, in the moment that our Arha is their priestess, those things have all coalesced perfectly around this set of practices that are about this place, never having light in it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, Good. Uh, then she scares his ass. <laughs> he sure does. <laughs> and he uh, he three stooges his way out into the labyrinth and gets lost. Yeah, and she locks him in there. Yeah. And then begins Michael's idle game of watching <laughs> uh, a first-time playthrough of Ocarina of Time, uh, watching Ged go back and forth. Ged has never been cooler than when he like walks himself back to the door of the dungeon and realizes it's locked and he does a little smirking shrug at himself. Damn. <laughs> Guess I'm stuck like, in here. Yeah, you got yourself this time, Ged. Uh-huh. What Another a- Ged adventure. Exactly. Cut <laughs> to four days later, dying. <laughs> yeah. with, a, with a broken knife, trying to carve oh. through a wall to get to the river on the other oh, side. You can hear the river on the other side. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Zone. Yeah, it becomes a Saw movie brief- briefly in here. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, but she finds him fascinating. I mean, he's he's another world, right? Yes. That's ultimately what it is. Yeah. And she can't help herself in trying to, like, ascertain what the hell's going on there. So she gets him to the painting room and brings um, Man- Manon. Uh-huh. Uh, in in to start being kind of a I don't know conspirator here, mm-hmm. and Manon is kind of torn between being the adherent to the faith and also his faith being just to do what she says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, this is the other side of uh, the you know a faith where uh, it's just one priestess <laughs> being the whole deal, right? <laughs> is that um, well, this is all you got, so. He starts being involved, and she basically starts interrogating Ged and learns about some of the stuff that we have talked about already, right? Yeah. Uh, ring of, of Abaya, uh, no, whatever it's called. Aerith Akbe? Aerith yeah, Akbe. I think that's right. Uh, also, she's been warned by wizard, about wizards by now. That's another one of the things that Thar and Castle have told her. Yeah. 
Uh, in fact, there's right. a great little, de- not debate, but there's a great little conversation between the three the of Socratic them. Socratic dialogue the about Soc- wizards? About wizards. Are they liars or, or is there power in words? You know? Jesus Christ. They use the word. They, it it bowled me over. Uh-huh. Jugglery. They did use yeah. the word jugglery. They yeah. call it, uh, uh, Kossel specifically yeah. calls what, what, what inner sea magicians do jugglery. That's one of the nine types of magic, right? <laughs> right. I mean, that's, yeah. In Homestuck, though, uh, I think, uh, right? It's one of the Homestuck magic types is jugglery. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's a Homestuck magic. And also because it's just, it's totally my shit, right? This is also what Christopher Marlowe was accused of. Uh, <laughs> right. Ari has, right. Ari, Ari is atheism, right? Uh, he, he was right. he was reputed to have said that Moses was but a juggler. Jeez, damn. damn! So he got accused of jugglery. Yeah, that's great. That's like I mean, that, I just that, love it. I love that it being an insult. You're just this is full of jugglery. Was what that mere right jugglery? jugglery? Yeah, it's yeah. so funny. But she gets I'm warned. Whip that out when we're reading Mona Lisa Overdrive. I'm going to whip that out on Austin when we're having a strong disagreement. I'm saying this is, this is jugglery. jugglery. What are you, what you giving me right now, Austin? Jugglery. And I'll be like, you're damn right. You know what's hard to do? Juggle. And I'm juggling you know, a lot. You know, a, you know, I got five balls in the air I'd right like now. to see you juggle like this. You know, I tried one time. You ever tried to juggle? I did. I'm not good at it. I'm not I, good at it. I but do it. I did. I did. I did recently reveal to uh, my partner that when I was a kid, I was a yo-yo kid. Uh, and I, then I received a yo-yo. Your parents kept throwing you out. You would bounce back. Yeah, no, no. I but I, I learned like how to like you know do some like the some some yo-yo tricks as a kid. What'd you do? What'd you learn how to do? Uh, you know, like I could I could you know put a yo-yo to sleep and then bring it up and put it in a cradle mm-hmm. and like make it jump mm-hmm. and do like I would say like some introductory yo-yo tricks. But I loved were you it. Like a were you a Jinkos kid too? I I was briefly a Jenko's kid. That's not so wrong. You're, you're in Jenko. You got a wallet. To be fair, chain. my my yeah, I I did have a wallet chain. Briefly. I'm just I'm and drawing a, a picture. Also, but these are all kind of different ages. I was not a Jenko's kid when I was a when I was a yo-yo kid. Uh, anyway, yeah, we all know that yo-yo is gateway to Jenko's. That's why. I'm yeah, asking. yeah, yeah. You go, you yeah. go first. You go yo-yo. Anyway, so the thing that I'm going to do here, I don't know that this is going to come through on the on the mm-hmm. speaker. Let's. I bet it. I bet it doesn't. But let's try it. Let's see if I can. I can. You know, I got a yo-yo here. I'm going to see if I can uh-huh. put it to sleep because if I can put it to sleep, you'll be able to hear it. Uh-huh. Let's see if I can do it while standing up briefly. Yep. Okay. I'm not it's not happening. This is this is failing. I'm failing at I'm it. hearing it going going down and yeah. back. And so then, you're doing the basic yo-yo. There it is. I, I can hear, hear it. Yeah, yeah. I can hear yeah. that. Uh for the listener who knows nothing about yo-yos at all. I'm doing it. For, it. Okay, yeah. Uh you're on your own. You're on your own. Uh, you figure it out yourself. Navigating the labyrinth here. Anyway, my point yeah. is a yo-yo showed up at my door like three days later, uh, because I had admitted this. And I've since been returning <laughs> to the world of yo-yos. I mean, you, look, I'm going to say it here. Yo-yos are cool. Yo-yos are cool. They're not quite juggling. Like, I think that you can get yeah. in easier to yo-yos than juggling. Yeah, 100%. So. They're, like, fun to have. I'm, yeah. I'm never mad, like, when, when there's someone around with a yo-yo, you know? You're like, oh, that's what... It's kind of like a... Um, it's the, the antithesis of the Rubik's Cube to me. Interesting. Like if the, if there's a light and a dark, the Rubik's cube is the dark, and uh-huh. the the yo-yo is the light to me. This is some fascinating world building we've got going. The on The yo-yo is yeah. feel, and it's it's yeah, you know, whereas the Rubik's it's cube spirit, is, right? You know what I mean? Right. And the Rubik's yeah. cube is is dead logic. It's, it's yeah. uh, math and logic. It's and the AI overlord, and, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I see. <laughs> you learn a pattern, and you simply recreate it. The the uh, you know, it's learning the names behind physics. That's the yo-yo. I see. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
man, you ever do the thing where you're like trying to cradle the yo-yo and you accidentally tie a knot? I do. It, I have done this. Down I've done this. Just, you'll uh, never get it out. Yeah, it's you know, not it great. Sucks. It's not you good. ruined the yo-yo. That's life. You can't do that with a Rubik's Cube. You can always reconfigure it. Sometimes you ruin oh. a yo-yo and make it unusable. And that makes it powerful. The potential of better. ruining it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I see. <laughs> anyway, she's got this wizard trap down here. When you ruin a yo-yo, it's kind of like if Michelangelo, like, just chipped a wrong piece of the arm and oh, ruined that giant block of granite. It's basically the same thing. It's mm-hmm. fundamentally yeah. when I lost heart, the same issue. When I lost my first yo-yo by doing that, I, of course, you know, felt the sort of terrible pain as mm-hmm. if uh, Michelangelo had ruined uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the David, you know? Yeah. So You sundered your staff and, and traveled into the West. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which is what happens to the to Aerith Akbe, right? Yes. It's a, it's a, yeah. His staff sundered. Goes west. You ever go fight a priest king and get your staff sundered and your talisman broken and sent off to the east where, uh, or no, the, to the west, to I west. guess, where yeah. you are fundamentally murdered by a dragon who uh, sees you as its equal? You yeah. ever have that happen to you? God, I forgot about that, that line about the dragons talk talk about him as if he's a dragon. Yeah. That's great. Arathok Bay was so cool. He was a dragon lord, much like Ged. That... Can, let I me say do something. love. Yes. Yeah. Go. Right, I think we're about to say the same thing. Go oh, I just. I really love how we set up the the great interchange <laughs> here between uh, <laughs> between Arha and Ged, where she mentions he's a dragon lord, and she's like, "Oh yeah, sure, dragon lord, <laughs> whatever incredible. the hell a dragon lord is. Yeah. I bet it's a thing that you made up, or it sucks." <laughs> it's incredible. Oh, that's not what I was going to say. What were you going to say? I was going to say what what really got me about the beginning of the book, because I do think I've read this before, but it had to be when I, you know, before I read the Darkest Rising trilogy. So I would have to be like 10 or 11. Mm. And so I, I remember pieces of that. So maybe it was even like a book I picked up and flipped through and just remember pieces of. But I I was unsure at the beginning if this was like much further on and Aerith Akbe might have been Ged. Mm. Oh, you know what I mean? Sure. Like I was like, "Ooh, maybe because Dragon Lord, powerful wizard, got the yeah. staff." Gets, you know what I mean? I was like, it may, "Maybe that's Ged," because it kind of the legend is very similar to what we get at the beginning of Wizard of Mercy, right? right? Yeah, uh, in terms of his accomplishments. But then I like it even more that he's kind of uh, you know in this discussion of reincarnation, what makes you this kind of person? He's this kind of echo yeah. of Aerith Akbe, yeah. Um, across the course of his career that we will eventually probably learn about here. So I like that. I I actually liked both of those scenes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Um, this, this, the beginning of, of them talking to one another. So, so the whole thing is like, she's fascinated instantly, right? Here is someone from the outside world. Um, I was only sort of joking before when I was like, here comes this tall, dark and handsome worldly outsider who captivates the heart of the young Tanar. Like there is a real, you know, this doesn't. They, they, this book does not end with them like getting together. You know, in fact, it's kind of the opposite of that in, in many ways. But the initial, it's hard not to read like teen crush on the cool twenty-five-year-old wizard or whatever. Actually, I have no idea how old he is here. I have no idea. I have no. He's about, I think that's about right. That's I like think he's like years. in his mid to late twenties. Yeah, yeah. It's so hard not to read that uh, throughout this section, and especially in their like banter back and forth where mm-hmm. where she's like um you know uh uh you came here to worship uh, our stuff and he's like i came here to rob them <laughs> which is so good uh and, and like they kind of go back and forth in this way where he is 
playful, even though he's at her mercy, um, but is also very careful. He knows that he has, he learns, I think, fairly quickly, okay, I have knowledge. She's asking me questions about the world. She wants to know what a dragon lord is, even as she tells me I'm lying about being one. Uh, and that becomes his, like, greatest leverage over her. Uh, but also is, you know, she. this whole section is, like, descriptions of her blushing or her, mm-hmm. you know, not being able to look at him straight ahead or admiring him as he sleeps or as he... Uh, or a- admiring and hating at the same time. You know, there's a lot of like, oh, you frustrate me so much, Sparrowhawk type energy. <laughs> she never says those words exactly, but there's a lot of that in what remains of this book, you know? Right. Um, yeah. So, and, and I think and that there's like, I don't know, I think that there's probably a counter read to this. This is they're not, that this part of me wants to read the back half of this book as a romance novel in terms of structure and format, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's a both and. Like, I, I do too. Well, I think it's like a, yeah. I think the argument that I would probably settle on if you forced me to is that like, oh, this is, you can't reduce them down to romance novel characters. They're, they're, it's not that he is the lover and that she is the the woman being saved. It's not that he is the father figure, mentor, or brother, or teacher. He's Ged, and she's Tanar, and those yeah. things are irreducible. But also, they do often fit into those structures, the formal structure of the romance novel role, you know, pretty cleanly yeah, I mean, throughout this. Mm-hmm. To, like, show off his magic, he, like, transforms her, her foliage and <laughs> yes. robes into yes. a beautiful teal dress, right? Yes. 100%. From the previous book. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And also From the time that he had like a weird, you know, romantic moment with seeing this beautiful woman. Yes. Yes. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's why I'm and saying like, I think it's both. It's it's both of those things, right? And she's in the Hallmark movie, like dreary work life, you know? And yeah. she needs to escape <laughs> from it. It's all here. Yeah. She's on the train to Yonkers. Yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. i but but I think I do think, and look, uh, this is again like I hard for me to decouple my knowledge of the thing, right? Mm-hmm. But like Le Guin has also just written a novel that is a both and novel. Yeah, that is both yeah. a romance and an adventure story yeah. and a political allegory. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all three of those inextricable from one another. And I do think that Le Guin in this time period would tell you that that that's what most romances are, yeah, right? That totally. they are fundamentally political stories that she's pushing further here. And so I, I, I do like that it's never kind of cashed out in terms of like, um, you know, she felt a heat rising within her that she couldn't explain. There's, no, it's not that. It's all through conversation, right? It's all through kind of interaction. Yeah, I think the and not a nebulous desire. It's desire focused through very particular mechanisms. I like yes. that a lot. And it's metaphorized through. There's a there's a bit where um, she realizes, oh my god. Okay, so she's she's talking to to get over and over again. She goes down there and brings some sneaks some food. She's fasting so that she can steal the food or like give the food that she was being delivered to him instead mm-hmm. and kind of healing him because he's been down there and was starving to death and hadn't had water and stuff. Um and uh kind of has to move surreptitiously to do this. Um and realizes at one point, oh my god. Castle also has access to the spy holes. There's this great moment where Ged gestures with his eyes or his hands very mm-hmm. quietly, like, hey, we are being watched. And yeah, this she, is the this is the turning point of the it, novel. It is. And mm-hmm. and yeah. she imagines the world where Castle sends her eunuchs down to kill Ged. And the end of that graph ends with there would never be a light beneath the tombs again. 
Um, and there's like, there's the double play there, right? Of like, ah, he's brought light to her tomb, you know, uh, which is bad. It's bad, but also it's kind of good. And she doesn't want the light to go out. I mean, it's, it is, it's bad in that it's like reductive, but also I think it, it these are real felt feelings by real human yes, beings yes, too, right? Absolutely. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I do want to just make that, I think we all know that, right? But I do want to make that explicit that like that kind of feeling of possibility of encountering someone from beyond your context and seeing them as your like ticket into a more interesting version of your life is such a real thing, mm -hmm. right? That puts people in equally good and bad situations, right? Like, uh -huh. especially in the moment we live in right now, right? Like, uh, that that is a, a thing that can hurt and harm in equal measure and always has, right? And I imagine if you're coming out of like the 68 moment, you were thinking about that in particular. For sure. Um, and the, uh, so yeah, I really I really like that. I I really love that Kossel moment too, where Ged, <sighs> so good. he like just points up, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. And, and like, like uh, uh, Arha has lied to Kossel at this point. She yes. is, yeah. she told Kossel about him in a fit of pique. And then she's like, shit, I should have played that card closer. And then a few days later, she's like, uh, yeah, I had him killed. He's dead. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't worry about it anymore. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, and then she says, well, is he dead? And she goes, uh, uh, he's starving. Yeah. So he will be dead. Well, she specifically is like, but if you killed him, you shouldn't be eating because when you sacrifice someone yeah. to the nameless ones, you're not supposed to eat for three days. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, I can eat because he's still alive because he's starving to death at this point. And that means that there's a little window before he dies where I'm allowed to eat. Uh, I'll fast when he's dead, dead. Uh, oh, got him. So funny. impeccable logic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, teenage priestess. Well, it's, it's specifically the moment where she she goes to Castle and is like, I've done away with the robber is extreme like we're all trying to catch the guy who did this it's all it's uh -huh. like <laughs> it's so good yeah and she like you were saying michael eventually she ends up playing it like way too hard because she does it in front of other people right mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. the real if the the kind of moment that starts the tongue the, the boulder rolling down the hill is the castle spying on them in the painted room the the thing that really like drives it all home is when in front of other people, she basically challenges Castle, right? Mm -hmm. And that's when Castle is like, I could kill you here. I could kill you anywhere. You have a, a an old faith. My faith is the real thing. Deal with it. Mm -hmm. And then as Castle is walking away, Arha curses her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and she like stops for a moment. You know, Castle stops and like cringes a little bit and then keeps walking. Mm -hmm. And that is so powerful. It is so powerful to know that in Castle's heart of hearts, it that the adherent, the one singular, well, of two actual adherents we know about, right? Mm -hmm. Of, of the, this old faith, of the Arha priestess faith, right? There's two people here that actually believe in it. Kossel, we are told over and over again, is like, she only believes in power. Mm -hmm. She only believes in all of this new faith stuff. And, you know, like Michael, I, I'm kind of of the belief that the, you know, the unnamed ones have supplanted the old faith with the new faith because it's more efficient for them, right? It, it's at the heart of everything in this empire. And yet, even in not believing it, there is a fear that it might be working on her. And it ultimately, like, feels the end of the novel because she, Kossel only does the things she does to finally kill Arha. 
uh, or to engineer the death of Arha mm -hmm. because she believes she, she has been cursed, right? And she's got to get rid of the priestess. And it's actually, she's I, not going to kill her. She's just going to lock her down in there. Right, well, and also, I think that it's what's interesting is there's the ambiguity in the moment of the curse, which is she staggers but doesn't stop her turn. And it's like, is she staggering because because of the belief in the curse or because mm -hmm. of the social power that Arha is mm -hmm. is be, is willing to use? Because this is all yeah. happening in the light of yeah. day, surrounded by the other priestesses. You know, Penthe is in that room being like, yo... You know, like yeah. it's extremely They're big. in the mess hall. They're in the yes, cafeteria. Exactly. It's the cafeteria fight. You know, it's the shouting mm -hmm. across the cafeteria. It's the, you know, the two teachers are yelling at each other across <laughs> the cafeteria. Like, oh my God, Miss well, Arha. There's even one more hit here too. That, there's one you didn't mention, right? Which is like not supported by the text whatsoever, but like is fun to think about. Uh, maybe it it's real. Maybe it's maybe real. Maybe it worked. Right. No, totally. 100%. Maybe, maybe it, it works. Felt, maybe there's a physical pain that's associated yeah. with it. We don't know. We don't know. We don't have access to Castle in that way. Right. Yeah. The only ones are about to blow out the well tomb, right? No, things yeah. don't go well. Well, we, as far as we, we're pretty sure. I think that's the thing that's sure. so funny about the end of this book is like, there's a lot of Arha Tanara being like, I, she's, she's upstairs. She's definitely mm -hmm. upstairs right this second. And then the yeah. earthquake's going to get her. You know, the earthquake got her. Like, we don't know. And doesn't you think we're gonna be in like book five and it's gonna be like <laughs> she's returned. I don't somehow Castle has returned. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We saw the Death Star blow up. We knew the the we saw, <laughs> I guess we saw the Emperor thrown down a big tube. We don't get we don't get Castle yeah. thrown down the tube here, you know? So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a different writer. I, I think that I don't expect to see Castle again. Yeah. You know, yeah. but do I expect to see another character spelled Oskil? Well, you know, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe I hadn't thought of that until until uh, Michael pointed that out. So just infinite yeah. permutations of the name Oskil. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh, sure. uh, she she um so after uh after she is revealed, uh, Arha is revealed that she's been like keeping Ged and feeding him, she makes this decision to verbally say, you need to be, you're going to get murdered, Ged. Deal with it. You're going to get buried alive. And then she goes outside and tells tells Manon to go in there, say that he's going to be murdered out loud, and then take him and then put him in the undertombs. Yeah. To bury she him then comes and gets with, him. Or to, and yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah. And then stores him in the labyrinth and she takes him all the way deep, deep into the labyrinth, into the treasure chamber. Into the room only she can go to. But only our Huz have been here before. But where she has not yet gone. She's only yeah. been told the route once by Thar and memorized it, but has never done it. It's opened by a silver key with what on it? A dragon. A dragon. Dragon. Ooh. Yeah. A ship All right, Dragon Lord, you and... need to go out for the pass. Uh -huh. <laughs> It's just like when Arha went into the... You've never been here before. You've never gone more than 20 yards. You gotta walk along the edge of the sideline like it's the pit. You gotta really... You really gotta... Mm -hmm. One foot after the other. You can't fall in the pit. Don't fall in the pit, Dragon Lord. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that you're... I believe in previously established lore, you're a lineman, but we're gonna put you out for the pass this time because I forgot. Dragon Lord 2 is the sequel. It's That's moved right. over he's, to wide receiver. He's been... He's at junior college. Yeah, all of our wide receivers got hurt. The only one left we have on the bench is Dragon Lord. Dragon Lord's not a receiver. He'll have to be today, coach. That's right. Yeah. Just fly, like Dragon Lord, fly. 
That's it. That Dragon Lord Two Fly Dragon Lord. Uh huh. Yeah. Or just fly. That's just probably Dragon Lord Two Fly. Yeah. Yeah. Or we no numbers. Or fly colon Dragon Lord Two. Wings of the Dragon Lord. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't put numbers behind stuff anymore. You're right. So it would be just yeah. Wings of the Dragon Lord. Yeah. Would be the name of it. Uh, big shot Hollywood producers were ready. Um, Let me tell you, this people yeah. love Dragon Lord. Uh, they do. The response like to Dragon Lord has been positive. Yeah, easy. <laughs> We're getting jersey requests, you know? Uh-huh. So uh, I missed the jersey request. That would be fun to make a Dragon yeah. Lord jersey. <laughs> it would be great. Number number double zero? Double double zero. Yeah. Okay, we'll look it up. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I, I'll do some number checking on that. How yeah. much could it be? Could be I expensive. I know we'd sell at least three. We would all want one. I would want one yeah. immediately. <laughs> yeah. What are the colors for Dragon Lord's team? That's a, <laughs> that's a great question. Much to consider. Yeah, I haven't yeah. thought about that. No. Well, we know that red, white, Ged's sail is red, right? Right. So, and yeah, and, yeah red, white, and blue. That's that's right. It's very <laughs> yeah. patriotic dragon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's simple. Well, I mean, speaking of, uh, just to uh, bounce off something that I wrote in the, the show doc here, uh, Arha is a dragon. Say, Say more. more. So... <laughs> Uh, you just mentioned that she has taken him. So think about this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she lords over a little keep mm-hmm. that is filled mm-hmm. with treasures that are her treasures, and she takes Ged to the treasure room that only she is allowed to go into with the key that has the dragon on it. Mm. Uh, and we can work backward to this scene where she has got Ged chained up in in like I think this is when he's in the painted room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's basically interrogating him, and they talk about uh Aerith Akbe a little bit, and he brings up, yeah, like he was a he was a dragon lord and he went into the west and the dragons killed him uh and uh then it says i don't have the page number here uh she wanted no more talk of Aerith akba since sensing a danger in the subject he was a dragon lord they say and you say you're one tell me what is a dragon lord her tone was always jeering his answers direct and plain as if he took her questions in good faith one whom the dragons will speak with he said that is a dragon lord or at least that is the center of the matter it's not a trick of mastering the dragons as most people think uh popping out here see our uh bonus episode on the monster manual Uh about Uh (laughs) uh, the long history of like mastering dragons dragons (laughs) have no masters the question is always the same with a dragon will he talk with you or will he eat you if you can count upon his doing the former and not doing the latter, why then you're a dragon lord? He is describing the situation that he's in with Arha, yeah, right? Like yeah. she has him captured yeah, in her den. Two, one of two things is going to happen: she's going to talk with him, or she's going to kill him, and she's already talking with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me hit you on one additional one that I thought about because you wrote this in the notes, uh, and I thought about it immediately. He had to learn a new language to, to speak mm-hmm. with her. Not, Same with the dragon. Not right? just like that. He had to transform himself. He uses her true name. Oh, yep. yeah. Right? That's oh, yeah. the big reveal. Or a name, right? Again, I, interesting because I don't... His, his, her original name. Her original name, right? Yeah. His true name is not Dunny, even though he was given the name Dunny as a child. But mm-hmm. but when she, when you know he uses Tanar... It's a it's a chapter closing moment, you know. It's a, it's yeah. like a boom. Take care, Tanar. Whoa, you and know. He, he to, to give give me some clarity here because I don't think I missed it. But he he just knows it because that's his power. Right? Remember, it's the same thing as with Yarrow. I think 
where he's like, he's like, oh yeah, um, your your uh, Vetch's little sister, Vetch's little, he's yeah. like Vetch's little, you know, your your little sister is like a minnow in the right. in the in the water, like you know, hard to catch, da da da, da. right? Because he can kind of read it in her. Exactly, Vetch is like, oh my yeah. god, that's her name. Her, you know, yeah. I named her whatever, yeah. which means minnow. And I think that he's done the same thing here, and he later yes. in this book kind of says the same thing. Which yeah. is like, eh, it's my power. Uh, I'm not going to get into it. Yeah, more than that's that. that's where I'm getting it from. Is he's like, ah, she's like, how'd you do that? And he's like, ah, it's just kind of my thing. But I couldn't. I was just making sure I didn't miss a thing that like gave it away. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah. He like found the book of names of the priestesses, or that he whatever. Yeah, no. Or he like so. saw it on a door. Right. Sure. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah. The uh, but so she stores him in here, and she's like, look, you can. The rules are, anyone who's an outsider who comes into the tombs. They they never leave. If I put you, I'm going to put you in this room, and you can never leave. Now, I don't have to kill you, but you can't ever leave. So see ya. Mm-hmm. And uh, then she leaves him there for like three days, and she has she goes and has like, you know, she's pretending that he's dead, all that kind of well, stuff. She has to now eat to get her own strength back. She yeah. can't keep bringing him food, and yeah. also she's under careful watch. You know. Yep. Yep. And is terrified. And, and yeah, I mean, this is just the worst fate possible, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, th- this is why solitary confinement is just uh, 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 the utmost crime, right? Like, mm-hmm. in terms of, like, punishment. Because this that's what it is. Like, and look, not to be, like, too, like, banging us over the head about it, but, like, the thing that happens to Ged here, which is, like, understood to be horrifying, and the worst fate is a thing that we do constantly to... Um, hundreds of thousands of people, mm-hmm. right? Like, it was just a common practice in the United States. Um, and so she goes back, and he's like, yeah, I'm, I, you know, uh, I've been digging through the uh, old treasures in here. And uh, wouldn't you know, I found the other part of the ring that I came for, but you have the other part of it because you ripped it off of me mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah, because he was wearing it as an amulet, basically. As an amulet, which is yeah. Which is the thing he got from the woman on the sandbar islet uh, in the previous book. Mm-hmm. Where All he's the like, way back in the previous book. Where he's like, or the narrator's like, but he wouldn't know the truth of this amulet until the next book. <laughs> yeah. Though so she basically. insists in the afterword that that was not a sequel tease. Okay, fine. <laughs> That's how I felt about but it. But it was. But she's like, she's like, because you wrote the sequel. She's like, you know, at the time, I thought it was just me paying off the idea and like selling the idea that he would have these other adventures, that he would grow into being the mm-hmm. great wizard, you know, yeah. back his way into the throne. And uh, I didn't expect to actually write that book. But then years mm-hmm. later, uh, you know, it's it's actually very charming. Then like two years later, I did. Well, the way that she writes it is actually really fun because she's like, uh, however, a writer sometimes writes a message for herself to be read when she begins to understand it. Like... Ah, uh, shit. Andrew Hussey would be infinitely more tolerable if that were the line that they use. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Sometimes yeah. you, uh, you know, you just put stuff down and you go and think about it. Yep. Mm-hmm. The, uh, but yeah, so, so we kind of get this, like all, everything collapses in on itself here, which is like, she still has that piece. So they're able to like stick it together. Wow. That's neat. Um, she also has brought all of her supplies with her because she kind of knows at this point She's got to kill Ged or they have to leave. Like, that's it. Right. Those are the only options that are actually left to them here. So she's brought some supplies. She brought his wizard staff with her, all that kind of stuff. Well, and this is the big, this is the two kind of big things kind of get laid out in this chapter, right? Mm-hmm. The first, the, the second, what I'll say is the second first because it's the smaller one in some ways, is 
Okay, here's the deal with the ring. Uh, I told you about this place, Eric. Er, yeah. I, the what's the is it, is it is the name of the city also? Er, oh, it's the sword of Erith Akbe is at the yeah. top of the city, uh, which is kind of a sick of description Havenor, of Havnor. Kind of Havnor, yeah, seems to be kind of a, almost now kind of like a capital Minas Tirith style city. It, yeah, so yeah. at the tallest tower, there's all these towers. Uh, every every prince and merchant has a tower, and at the top of the tallest tower is his sword, and his sword will catch the sun's light even after it's dark everywhere else because it's so high up, and you can see it golden in the night sky, which whips. Um, but uh, yes. it explains the thing we kind of talked about before. And this ring, which is like an armlet, uh, it fits her arm, um, uh, is, is, uh, has the, the nine runes on it. One of them is broken. One of the runes is the lost rune. And the thing that he explains is that, um, uh, the, <laughs> he's like, when I was a little older than, than you were now, I, uh, I went and like did all my wizard shit. Um, and then, and I got my, I got this thing. I got this ring. Uh, and then he, he says, this is on 214. Uh, when I came back to the inmost isles, I went at last to Havnor. I was born on Gaunt, which lies not uh, far west of your Kargish lands, and I had wandered a good deal since, but I'd never been to Havnor. It was a it was a time to uh, it was time to go there. I saw the white towers and spoke with the great men, the merchants, and the princes and the lords of the ancient domains. I told them what I had. I told which is the the one half of the ring. I told mm-hmm. them that if they liked, I would go and seek the rest of the ring in the tombs of Adawan in order to find the lost rune or the key to peace. For we need peace sorely in this wor- world, and it's I did not expect Ged to be so cleanly the worker. I mean, he's not he's the worker of peace. I get this, but it's so funny to be like I went and met the merchants and great men, and I'm working for them. And to me, this was mm-hmm. like oh, uh oh, uh oh. This is a this is another. There is no outside of the world. There is no world in Earthsea yet for a woman to be, and he, he, I mean, he pitches her this, right? Come with me. I will go bring you there. They will put you in a tower and you will live a life of luxury because you will be a They'll symbol of peace. They'll make you a princess. They'll make you a princess. You'll get to wear the pretty dress that I showed you all the time. Um, and this is not a critique. I'm, when I say, uh-oh, that is not me being like, and I think the book is bad now. But it is where I say, oh my God, the book is pessimistic or is yeah. critical. It, it, at this point, it's like, there is no outside of patriarchy. You right. can be the priestess in the East, or you can be the princess in the West, but these are the worlds that are being allowed mm-hmm. to you. God um, king or a merchant king? Which one do you want? Which do you want? Exactly. Uh, and so that's half of it. And I said that's a smaller half. And the only reason mm-hmm. I said, which is, it's a big half of this chapter. It's the, it's a huge point. But the only reason I say it's the smaller half is because this is also the chapter where Ged is like, oh, your gods are fake, buddy. Uh, here is the core. Here is I am laying forth the core moral truth of the of this universe. Here is what the the nameless ones are, and that's on two eleven. And I don't want to read the whole thing because it's long. Yeah, but you know, um, did you truly like? She is like, oh my god, my gods are dead, uh, and he's like, they're not dead, but they're also not gods. They yeah, don't they die. suck bad. They suck. Like, they, they are not cool. They should not be denied nor forgotten, but neither should they be worshipped. Um, uh, you know, the the earth is the earth is beautiful and bright and kindly, but that is not all. The earth is also terrible and dark and cruel. The rabbit shrieks in the uh, dying in the green meadows. You know, there are sharks in the sea. People murder each other, and where men worship these things and abase themselves before them, their evil breeds. Uh, their places are made in the world where darkness gathers. Places uh, given uh, holy 
to the ones whom we call nameless, the ancient and holy powers of the earth, before the light, the powers of the dark, of ruin, of madness. Uh, and and this is maybe evidence to Projal where, where he is like, I think they're already in Kassel. They already got to Kassel. They already drove her mad, is what is what he says. Um, uh, but then yeah. insists, you're free now. You know, you're they're not your masters, Tanar. They 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 never were. You were taught to be a slave, which always just uh, but you have mm-hmm. broken free, right? Because she yeah. she was taught to be a slave, but that moves us into the realm of ideas. And anytime anyone says you were taught to be a slave, there's like a subtext there that yeah. is just like simply unlearn being a slave. <laughs> Yep. Right. Um, uh, yeah. The the kind of additional piece here that that and and the reason I reacted so strongly earlier, right? Of like mm-hmm. kind of holding out for, um, you know, maybe a criticism of Ged here is like get. I don't think Ged. It would be different. Sorry. The 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 way that reading this book after the last book versus reading this book by itself is really interesting. Whereas I think armed with the previous book, I'm so much more willing to be like, Ged does not have a complete picture of the universe, right? Like mm-hmm. he might've mastered himself, but he is not, he is mm-hmm. a lackey here, right? As you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. He's like just some, he's some little Imperial dude going on to like fix the world. Maybe. Uh, literally know. had to like go raise capital to like, yeah, yes. little voyage, right? Yeah, That's what I was going to say. You had to charter a boat, you yeah. know, like all that stuff. He did and get so the princes I, to pay for cargish lessons for him. Right. And so I take what he's saying here less is like a, a fundamental truth of reality and more of like Ged's perspective on that reality. Um, and I wish this book felt more like that was true because I well, also I think, believe it. And I, well, I think what happens is the book ends up, I think, less saying that it's true, but taking Ged's side, right? Yes. Which is a little bit different. Uh, Which is a humanist two, but, side in some way, right? And like, I get percent, that. And I right. think that liberal writing, humanism reigns in, in Le Guin, right? Exactly. Like that is the method in the most. A hundred percent. And I, I respect it. I think there's like a real like, you got to make a choice in this world and this ain't it. Like, don't choose mm-hmm. the death priestesses who keep you mm-hmm. locked up. Yeah, um, you got to choose freedom. Like, you got to choose freedom. Right? And, like, and for freedom... Is an obligation okay. and a, and a, and is a, a weight of its own, right? Mm-hmm. Being under the merchant lords in the last instance is better than being under the 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 Soviet. I mean the um, the Kargish lands, the, right? the, the <laughs> Eastern, the, yeah, uh-huh. mm-hmm. the Roman Vikings, mm-hmm. the Roman kind of Maoist. I mean, um, uh, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. but but right. I mean, I, you're right, a million percent. But the what's so much East. more, yeah, uh-huh. what's interesting to me, yeah, the sort of Asiatic power. I mean, um, uh, the empire. Uh, but what's fascinating to me about it is that it's in that moment, which I really like. And that's the last thing I was going to say when I was kind of listing off stuff that was happening here, uh, just a few minutes ago is the, the other piece of the puzzle here is he, when the nameless ones as this other entity, right? The, the ones before the, the powers of the earth, the old powers of the earth, all that, when they realize that Arha is like, they didn't build a good Arha, right? That mm-hmm. like, she actually might be choosing power. It starts eating Ged, right? They they start demolishing Ged in a way that like, kind of was happening before, but it seemed like that was an emanation of being starved. This is where Here, it doesn't work. Because it they just are, feels I, like he's starving again. And he's saying, don't I, you yeah, feel don't, it? I'm stuck in this room and they've been, they've been tearing me apart. But he's yeah. saying it out loud and we're yeah. not in his perspective, which means like what right, we don't right. get is right. the beautiful prose that I know Le Guin could have brought to bear from his perspective yeah. of how this is not regular starvation. But to hear yeah. him just say it in the book about how actually the throne is empty, right? Now, the empty mm-hmm. throne is actually mm-hmm. even more empty than you thought it was. And yeah. it's and it's 
I, I think that the, the movement that, that y'all have both suggested here, which is that they work through they work through culture, they work through mm-hmm. cruelty, they work, they don't need to use magic powers, cruelty is their magic power. Um, yeah. And the way that Ged lays it out, which is like, their magic power is the shark in the sea, it's the terrible mm-hmm. truth of the, of the earth, actually diminishes them. Um, but, 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 so let me, let me say my second thing here then. Please. But then when that doesn't work, when they have not built a correct Arha, then they do start with this explosive magical power that ultimately is their unity, right, together that keeps them from being destroyed. And that's what allows Ged to, like, blow out the door at the end. It's him and Arha together making a choice. And that is unified by a magic ring <laughs> finally right, presented right. And, and unified right. yeah i mean it's just this is, like this is where it capital falls. fantasy bullshit it is right but like well, sorry it's not it's not, the, it's not the sorry it's not the fantasy magical ring part of it to me it's the marriage magical ring to me right right, right? that's the part where i'm like okay what are we doing yeah, there's some sort of conciliation has been worked. <laughs> right, right but but that is the moment right where yes, the, yes. in the last instance for the for the the unnamed ones, right? It's not just cruelty. They can exercise power. That's what blows up the tomb at the end, right? Is is their kind of unchanneled explosive power. They were trying to... The unnamed powers would destroy their seat of power to kill Ged and Arha yeah. rather than let them win. And it is it's, Arha and Ged together that blow it out. It's right? an empty fart. That to me is what makes it sufficient and like yeah. kind of work is that they have set up the, the you know, the Kargish Empire. It's, that it's, is their power, their mechanism, all this stuff. But at the end of the day, they can also blow shit up. It's jugglery I do think to that me. works for me. All they do is blow up their own tomb. Yeah. Good Look, work, Evelyn guys. makes itself. This is a The shark doesn't That's... bite itself. The shark is but better than them. each other. Absolutely. And they grow nature big. Nature eats itself. Where, yeah. No, but, like that it, is but nature sustains it. itself. This is the thing where I think the, I think the metaphor gets tricky. I mean, I, we, yes, I'm going to keep going. I don't think it's a good metaphor. I'm going to keep I'm going good. back to stupid... Uh, um, uh, uh, Shadow of the Torturer and, and Book of the New Sun. But there's that great thing that we'll, I'll never lose, which is that when you compare something to the rain, right. you're saying the right. rain is greater than it, right? Yeah. And, and uh-huh. it is being compared to the shark and to the death of the rabbit, which makes those bigger than and greater than it. They are Those things are not, um, or, or more importantly, those things yeah, are then part I, of a great big yeah. system, which I suspect over the next few books will get... Um, more complicated. I suspect yes. this is not the final word on this stuff. And I say that partly because the afterword gestures at that, right? Because well, Le Guin in the afterword is like, I'm going to revisit a lot of this, I think. It's been, mm-hmm. it's been, you know, in the, in the when I come back to Tanar, I have some other thoughts, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead, Michael. Uh, just the, the, the way that I think about this, uh, which I don't really think necessarily addresses your point, Austin, which again, I understand. Um, but there's something about uh, it, it, yeah, it's like evil defeats itself stuff like that. These this this is evil. And at the same time, like evil is powerful and weak in specific ways. What I think is really cool or like in, in this is like not something textual, right? Like uh, it's about an idea that I get from the text that may or may not be what Le Guin had in mind. So when uh, uh, Ged is like, Oh God, they're they're eating me. The nameless ones, they're here. Ah, oh, it feels so bad. Uh, <laughs> what is what ends up being compelling to me about that, about how localized it is in him, and he can only like say it, is this sense that uh, their power is atmospheric in mm-hmm, yeah. in in the way that uh, like it's 
it is real, but the everyone else is so acclimated to it that they can't even feel it or mm-hmm. sense it in the way that Ged can, right? Which yeah. is, I think, a nice little like you can think about that in terms of like a metaphor for power or like you yeah. know subjectivation and ideology. I love it as um, you say it. I just don't feel it in the words. Well, no. I, I, the additional uh, but, piece I would add to that, Michael, just like yeah. one small thing is that the the fact that it's only reported. You know, wherever you take from it, like, you know, you just gave us a very specific read there. But I like that it's only reported because then Arha can't look at two kinds of magic fighting one another and then make a choice about which is the better magic. I agree with that. But I think she has to take it on faith. It's it's ultimately about faith, right? Like, I mean, absolutely. And and faith in another person and your faith in your own ability to, to, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to, I should be clear really quick. Let's let Michael finish his thought. Yeah, go ahead. Finish your thought. I intervened here. Just like, so like, what is, what is the picture of power in like the Western and inner aisles versus like the picture of power that's going on here in, uh, you know, the, the Cargad empire, uh, Right. They, like these are people in, in the cargs, right? They are people who have ultimately been brought about into a way that like they are they worship the death of the rabbit. Right. Like mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. the shark. Mm-hmm. They worship the small, petty, mean uh misery that happens in the world rather than uh whatever's going on in the inner aisles where like things have names and they have like histories and stories and you know stuff that they do and like they can be talked with or like engaged with right like that's i find that like big picture very compelling uh mm-hmm. although again like i get kind of why this this is requiring me to exercise a good bit of charity with the book and i want to be I also I, think I, I enjoy like, i enjoy the book to be clear like i i am being uh, the thing I was going to say before is just like I I can do the reading of this book that is like about a, a person who is caught in suffering who uh, finds a moment of, of brightness who who overcomes her fear and reaches out and connects to another human who joins with her and they and they unite and there's a, a power in that a power in camaraderie and a power in escaping suffering and sometimes you need another person to help bring you out of suffering and out of the yeah. dark and out of addiction or out of abuse or out what you know you can do that reading I like that reading it's a fine reading. But that's like the first reading I had. And the second reading I had was, you said before that the the thing that's so good about this is that the power can only be reported, right? That Ged has to report this, she can't see it. But so much of the things that are being reported throughout this book, down to Arha's reincarnation, are things the book is skeptical of. And so yeah. here, I need another movement to make me not skeptical of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, if I'm if if right. if everything to this point is when a character reports that the, that the dark powers are doing something, I am meant to to kind of roll my eyes out at it and say, "Oh, this is a moment of manipulation." Then so too might Ged be manipulative. In fact, that's my read yes. yeah, on it. Absolutely. But I don't think in this moment where he's saying the darkness is is bad, bad, bad is meant to be skeptical. You're meant to be skeptical of this paragraph. I think you might be meant to be skeptical of. I'm going to take you to the merchants. But I do think yeah. that here, you know, they they never were, you are free, Tanar, you were taught to be a slave, but yeah. you have broken free, is meant to be genuine and accepted. And that him yeah. saying, they, oh, they're all around me right now, I, I'm stuck in the atmosphere of the darkness, is meant to be real, but it just doesn't hit the way that I know Le Guin can make it hit because I've seen her use her prose in that way. Yeah. And that's I mean, fine. I think that's, it's not, it's I a think stumble. Right. It's not the book. I'm not throwing the book out, you know? Well, I also think that like, I, I would say even less than skeptical here would be the word. I think what's happening, and I think you're exactly right in terms of like the 
schematic read here. Like, it just doesn't hit in a way we know it could hit. I know it could hit, man. I just I, know it I could hit. I think what's happening, because I felt the same way when I read it. I I think what's happening is that Le Guin, you know, is trying to fit what she wants to be doing into the framework of the young adult novel, the yeah. nascent young adult novel. And we are feeling genre friction happening here between the full novel for adults. It, like I said, a lot of this feels like a second swing at stuff that's in the left hand of darkness, which is not a book that is written for a young right. adult crowd. It's not for like an advanced teenager, or even a young teenager, right? Like it's not for any of that. And we're seeing a lot of repetition or kind of rerun or rethinking or, um, fitting into a framework of those ideas. And this, I think, really and truly, right? We are feeling the friction of trying to take a idea that is more complicated and fit it into a genre, even in its nascent form, which requires us to have a less complicated framework, right? Mm -hmm. Ultimately, at the end of the day, what needs to be felt is that she is making the choice of freedom because yes. this is a book for children. Yes. I agree. So I think this. everything you're saying is right. Well, and and I think there are moments. But I think here, the reason for that is not conceptual. The reason for that is like practical in a very real and, and literal way. Uh, I am now poisoned by the knowledge of the afterword in which she right. struggles with this too, gotcha. right? Um, gotcha. And so I do think the problem might be conceptual here, and I'm excited to see the concept develop later. You know, mm -hmm. um, but I was I was relieved to read the afterword because she says. I reread this 40 years later, and I, I don't know what I was thinking about some of it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And that, to me, is is <laughs> exciting about what the rest of the books hold. Mm -hmm. So, um, um, I love the moment where they come out the door. They blow that door out? They blow that door out, and they begin to cross the, the pit, and who's there? Now needing to be warden oh, more yeah. than guardian is Manon. Manon. Oh, it's yeah. brutal. Yeah, this is the best part of the book. It's yeah. so It's so good. She saw the bulk looming in the far, farther dark beyond him and knew it for Manon, but her voice was caught in her throat as in a noose, and she could not cry out. Uh, there it is. There's the dark working. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Manon is coming to save her. Uh, he, she, she like left him out in the hallway. Yeah, he, he like mm -hmm. accompanied her down, yeah. and he's not allowed to come in that room. So she's like, right. "Okay, stay out here, like you're supposed to. I'm going to go in and talk to oh. this guy that you've been warning about, warning me about forever." And, and then they come out. He's pled with her, please. Yeah. It's not too late. We could yeah. kill him. We can go say sorry to Castle. It's all. It's fine. You can live a whole life here, and so yep. can I. By the way, bracket. Uh, I will also get to keep <laughs> living here as a eunuch and be not obliterated. Yeah, he's the other adherent to the faith, yeah. right? Like, like, she is important to his whole deal. And and yeah, and I think that, you know, the when we're talking about, like, Le Guin making, just doing the damn thing, right? Like, everything we've gotten so far building to this moment makes it hit so hard that mm -hmm. from his perspective, he is saving her. He is saving his child, right? By killing this dude, tossing him off in a pit. Mm -hmm. And then he gets kind of hip-tossed right off into that pit himself, falls silently and they never hear him hit the bottom. Yeah. Mm. Is there a bottom? Mm. The the melancholy, y'all. <laughs> Damn. It's sad. Rip to that guy. We gotta get this into the Dragon Lord screenplay somehow. Oh, for sure. <laughs> when the pit opens up on the football field. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, by the I mean, third, he's more prepared for that than Dragon Lord. Right, Dragon Lord is ready for when all the stuff from the Dragon Lord books, they're not called Dragon Lord <laughs> books, but when it becomes yeah. real, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's for the threequel. That's the threequel. We don't do that in the sequel. Anymore. Yeah. And everyone looks to Dragon Lord's like, we don't know what to do. And he's like, yes, you do. 
we run the Statue of Liberty play because <laughs> we're all free. <laughs> no, it's not Statue of Liberty. It's going to be like we run the, uh, uh, although the jerseys are red, white, and blue, they so it is appropriate. Uh-huh. But I was thinking, no, it's got to be like the, the the Sword of Agazar. Right. Well, I think it, I think it is. A, it has to be a play they already know. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it yeah. has to be like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, no, they've been trying it out the whole and they're the first throwing five minutes. It's never worked. They're throwing the magic gem, which is sort of football shaped. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like they're like uh, uh, shuttling it between them. They're doing the little the little. Uh, uh, why am I blanking on the name of this? Um, wow, big football guy. And like yeah, scramble. No, no. When you pass the ball behind you to the, to your side, you're allowed a lateral. To, a lateral. Thank you. Yeah. No, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's, big football guy. Big over football here. guy. Uh, don't ever say the word lateral though. You know, Kelsey's kind of the uh, only guy who does it these days. Yeah. The oh, really? Is that true? He's a big fan of it. He likes to. He loves to like keep the play going. You're not supposed to do it. It's really no. risky to do. Yes, but he'll do it. He he did it earlier this season, and it, it worked perfectly. And then the play got mm. called back on a penalty, which was really Aww. heartbreaking. But anyway, yeah. was it determined to be a forward pass? No, his part of it was great. There was something oh, okay. in the back. It was like a hold or something in the backfield or some other thing. I'm not a big Kansas City Chiefs guy, but it was a cool play. It got called mm-hmm. back. So anyway, Dragon Lord bounces the gem off of a, a of a, an invading troll's head, catches it. Yeah, there's no penalties the in the in the uh, blood bowl. Also, the refs the refs aren't yeah. going to call holding on the on the trolls. <laughs> no, you a troll will grab a human being by the shoulders and just <laughs> just pile drive them into the ground. Yes. Like a nail, but we They'll pick them straight up and push them straight down. We were shattering PG their legs at most PG thirteen movie, so no blood, no vi- no only cartoonish violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's got it's got to be good enough for like ABC circa two thousand six. So you can't have any uh, sound of people urinating, anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> Committed range touch fans know. Yeah, they'll know. They blow the door out. They they get past him. They go up to the door where you're supposed to leave. And uh, lo and behold, someone's blocked the door with something heavy. Mm-hmm. The ground's also shaking and shuddering underneath them. They feel something. And Ged says, I'm holding back the damn earthquake, y'all. And it's she's literal. like, Castle put something on top of the damn door out. Yeah. Yeah. Because so the then thing they go we, back to that door. Yeah, I think we be opened. didn't mention was the there's two ways in. There's one in the throne, the empty throne room, and there's one kind of around the side in the back, which is how the prisoners get let in. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the door he couldn't couldn't leave earlier. Right. That we know about. Right. Right. So he they go to that door, which could not have been opened before. It's impossible to open from the inside, but using the power of friendship, they blow that bad boy open mm-hmm. with a wizard staff. And uh, I'm in for it. I like. I look. Wizards blasting shit apart mm-hmm. with a staff is inherently cool. Yeah, I agree. Am I wrong? No. I'm, no. Okay. Like a staff. They get out and she like has a real crisis of, of faith. Oh, she's freaking out this whole time. She's yeah. like, there's but no this, escape. This is where she goes down on her hands and knees, right? She's yeah. like, I don't think I could do it. Yeah. Uh, and that is the the this is the moment, right? Uh, as she writhed mm-hmm. back away from him, this is two twenty three, into the crumbling, lipless mouth of the tombs. Uh, his his hard grip loosened. He said in a quiet voice, "By the bond you wear, I bid you come, Tanar." She saw the starlight on the silver ring on her arm. Her eyes on that. She rose, staggering. She put her hand in his, and she came and came with him. She could not run. Yeah. He's doing magic, y'all. 
Yes. Yep. This is the second kidnapping of this book. Um, but, you know, like you said, in the last instance, better to be the princess in the Merchant King's castle than mm-hmm. the slave priestess in, uh, not my last instance necessarily, but in the book's yeah, That's instance. what the book seems to be arguing. Yes, yes. And yeah. that's not where it ends. She doesn't end up as the merchant, to be clear, the, the merchant nope. princess, but. No, um, there is another way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they escape. Uh, they get up to like a little rise and they're able to look back at the place of the tombs and uh, they see the nine tombstones that are above the the under tomb. Yeah. They seem to just fall in. Yep. <sighs> And a different book would have just ended here. Oh, for like sure. The movie, right? Yeah. The movie version made in 1986, like, bam, roll credits. Or like Fight Club. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> where Where is my mind playing as they watch the tombs <laughs> right, <run>? right. <laughs> uh, But, uh, and, and that's Ged, where Austin, I think you mentioned this. Ged like, says he met me in a really weird time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the reverse, but... The uh, but this is where you see like a bunch of people running away, and uh, they just kind of assert that all the named characters died. <laughs> uh, and uh, later on, Ged does say he's like, I think I saw like a golden roof temple still standing. Mm-hmm. So like the assumption is because she's really worried that all like the innocent priests priestesses died, mm-hmm. and uh, he's like, No, nah, I don't think so. Probably some survive. But then they have like a little journey, like you're talking about, Michael. But it doesn't end here. They keep going. And this is where they have a conversation about uh, rabbits and, like, what magic is. You know, he can use spells to call rabbits and bring them here. Mm-hmm. But if you bring them there and then you do something bad to them, that's kind of on you. You know, that's not cool. Why would you do that? Mm-hmm. Um, he tells her... I do love the word for her, rabbit. He's like, yeah, I can do it. She's like, she's like, can you do it? Can you get a rabbit here? Like, not to mm-hmm. eat necessarily, but just can you guys see it? And he's mm-hmm. like... Cabo, oh, Cabo, which is so good. It's such yeah. a good way to call a rabbit to you. Um, and so they have like a little conversation. This is where he lays out kind of the whole, or no, this is where she gives the counter story for like, where did, wh- how did those two people end up on that? Yeah. That uh, sandbar island. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And God, what a, I, the, you know, the starving to death in the dark. That's bad. Being put in solitary in the uh, in the tombs and kept there for eternity—that's bad. Yeah, the Sandbar Island is like it really. It, it's the only time in this book that when it got when it got brought up again. Not even the first time, but the second time. Like I had a real like this hurts my heart kind of it's moment. Sad. It is such a horrifying and terrible thing that is also like holding on to human dignity, which makes it worse. Yeah. Well, and then um, she tells that story, and then is like, "Do that to me. That's what I deserve." Yeah, because that's how much I hate myself for my role in the death of those three prisoners and for my role in the darkness. And also, I don't want to go be the merchant princess. I don't want to go where they're going to call me the white lady. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, they're going to call you the white lady all the time. It's going to be great. And she's like, I don't uh, know if I want to do that. We uh, shall call you Karen. Yeah. No, I think I'll take my chances with the sandbar, where all I can eat is muscles, a food I am disgusted by. Yeah, but but she, um, but yeah, she kind of gives us the rundown, which is like they are the last, the two people we met in the last book on that sandbar island. They are the final descendants of the only resistant faction, basically, in the empire. Mm-hmm. And there's a prophecy that they will be the engine of the destruction of the god king. And so the god king, fearing a curse of killing them, this is like real classic fantasy stuff, right? Like, yeah. 
fearing a curse of killing them. It's actually real like Greek mythology. I was gonna say this is this is Oedipus, yeah. Yeah, right. Um banishes them to the island, which of course then sets the engine in motion for this book to happen, but not kill the god king or not depose the god king. So maybe other stuff will happen in the future that we will learn about. Um, and so we get that. That's kind of part of the thing. And yeah, as you're saying, she's like, maybe I just want the sandbar. Maybe I want yeah. that to be my fate. And he's like, no, no, no. Come with me to Havenor. Come with me. Come to me. We get White Ged for a little bit. We get Jed. Jed is here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jed is here. Yeah. Um, she's like, whoa. She's like, I'm a white guy now. And, he, and she's she like, that's not, not you. And he's like, that is not me. That is this not is me. Just, this is like a fake thing I got to do to not get killed by all your dudes. Uh-huh. Um, still recognizes his voice. I love that little that little note. It's like, oh, he still sounds like him. He didn't change his mm-hmm. voice here at all. Mm-hmm. Kind of a kind of an inverse. Uh, sorry to bother. I was gonna say, yeah, hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Boots Riley's Earth Sea. Mm-hmm. I would watch it. Yeah, I would give it a shot. Um, there's that great bit of her seeing the night sky out in the sea and realizing it's bigger than the darkness that she's known. Um, well, she's also like, what the hell is that? Oh, the ocean. She's looking at the ocean. Yeah, she's like what? Great. What is that crap? Yeah. He's like, that's the ocean, man. That's big. Well, and then this is the one moment where I'm like, okay, okay. I think we're going to wrap back around to this. Because it's like, uh, she looks at, out to the dark of the night, and, and it, it's described as a vaster darkness. It had been before the light and would be after. It had been before life. It would be after. It went on beyond evil. I was like, okay, okay. There's something in the dark still. There we can still reclaim something. There's more than there. It's, it's more than just evil. There's darkness mm-hmm. that goes yeah. past there. Let's wrap back around to that at some point, I hope, one day. We'll see. Yeah, the old powers of the earth are privative. Yeah, you know, they want to make yeah. you think that they've got got everything. They got they the monopoly on on the dark. Yeah, yeah. They they have they have nearly nothing. That's why they, that's why they got to make a, a shadow ged. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's like when they come into the world, the way they get tamed is like making them into stuff, right? And then mastering. Yeah. Uh, and then and then we get the we get the third way. I mean, earlier you were like, "There's a third way," but what you should have said is uh, a third way. There is because I should have. Said he's that, like right. you know I do. I do know a Yoda. I could, hmm, I could take you to, to a Yoda. It's going to be tricky, but I'm going to give you to a Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> now, is it better to be, uh, you know, a slave to the the evil overlord? Is it better to be the slave of the capitalist merchant class? Is it better to be a slave to a Yoda? You tell me. Uh, I'm some hippie shit. I'd rather be the slave to the Yoda in the last instance, but. Me too, but also it's some like just absolute hippie shit mm-hmm. and she doesn't really want to do it you know she's like all right can you come will you show up will you come through well, she says i want to live on a mountain just yeah. let me oh, live on a mountain he's stuff. like well i know a guy who lives on a mountain <laughs> yeah which you is be with him yeah and i'd prefer that i guess if i want to live on a mountain and you knew a guy who lived on the mountain who was quiet i'd be like hey i just came to the quiet mountain i guess dude yeah, fine. Guys, like talk for a full six months a year. Okay. Yeah, cool. and he's like, "All right, but first we got to go to Havnor. We got to show you off." Yeah. Uh, and again, like I, I don't think I think all of this stuff with Ged is so strong um, and sad. Uh, the The very end of this book is the final graph. Uh, Tanar in the stern erect in the stern erect in her ragged cloak of black. She looked at the ring around her wrist, then at the crowded, many-colored shore and the palaces and the high towers. She lifted up her right hand, and sunlight flashed on the silver of the ring. A cheer went up, faint and joyous on the wind, over the restless water. Ged brought the boat in. A hundred hands reached to catch the rope. He flung up to the mooring. He leapt up onto the pier and turned, holding out his hand to her. Come, he said, smiling, and she rose and came. Gravely, she walked beside him, 
up the white streets of Havnor, holding his hand like a child coming home. And I can't read that except for, you know, sourly, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh. To me, I was like, I wish this had not been in this book. Oh, I love it. <laughs> this is the melancholy for me, buddy. Mm-hmm. There ain't no way out of power. Nope. Not if you're not going to break it. And this is the ring for me. Like a child coming home. Oh, are you fucking all that to be a child coming home? I know. That's how I feel. But to me, this is it. Like, yeah, you built a myth that you're going to find the magic ring of peace. That all you got to do is find the ring of peace and material conditions are going to change. But it ain't how it works. No, quit being so cynical. That's going to (laughs) work out, right? You got to do stuff. You, You, there is no, this is the, you know, in some ways that felt like the, the other side of there's no war in Earthsea. It's like sometimes mm-hmm. you need war. Sometimes c- conflict, physical, material, martial conflict begets change. And no, I'm going to trick the God King with my magic ring. You're going to see. Don't, okay. don't maybe, worry maybe that'll it, happen. Buddy. We'll see. We got but it. But this to but me yeah, is such yeah. a knowing, great coda to the yeah. rest of the book. It's so strong. Yeah, I think it's really strong. I think it is... Um, this is the place where I was like, I really respect the idea. And this is where I was like, I really wish that Le Guin had made this sing a little bit more because it doesn't sing to me. Mm. It feels reductive of like the real thing happening, which is like, yeah, you thought you thought you you thought there'd be a magic ring, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and like you now you've held up the magic ring and you're a princess probably now. <laughs> Good luck getting to that Yoda. Well, and the, the, that, that's the, the pessimism of the book to me is like, yeah. And uh, you can feel one way or another about it. And I think importantly, you can you got to think about when it was written, what context it was written in, and um, what she expected to have happened in the world, and what you know hasn't happened in the world, and where her life is at, and all that other stuff. But like, uh, I think that it is striking to finish a book like this and to have her go to escape a real prison and to find herself potentially faced with other ones is uh, it resonates with me, even if even if I think it's even if my position is more open and revolutionary than that or something, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think there are many ways to resist power. And in this moment, she is, she is the perspective of the book is in, is in the mind of someone who can't imagine a single one. And that's just, when is this hard. book uh, released or, or 71, 70 or 71. It's two years after wizard. Yeah. Uh, 71. Let me do a little bit of math here. One moment. I want to hit you with a number. Give me, give me a number. While you do that, I just want to say I am so glad that Ged still has his same boat. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Look far. Yeah, Yeah. with the eyes on it. He's seen a lot of stuff. Do you know how when this book came out? Do you know how old Le Guin's daughter was, Elizabeth Le Guin? Don't take a guess. Seventy-five. You got it. Got it. One. I can't believe. Yes, he's a numbers old. No, how old? Fourteen. Fourteen. Well, so and she wrote this book when when the kid was twelve ish. That makes mm-hmm. sense. She right. She describes in the afterward that this book partly came to her while visiting uh, the deserts of of Oregon out in Harney Country, a high and lonesome land of mountains and great sagebush uh, plains of pure skies, far distances and silence. They're there on like a, a family camping trip, and like on the drive home, she's like, "I got the next book," <laughs> as the kids are singing in the back uh, in the back seat. It's good. Mm. And it's like, yeah, okay. Um, uh, Michael, do you have any other notes on the afterward? Because I know you, you got a chance to read it, right? Oh, yeah. I, I think, um, so here at the end, let me make sure if I'm starting the right paragraph here. 
yeah, so this is very close to the end. Rereading the book more than 40 years after I wrote it, I wonder about many of its elements. It was the first book I wrote with a woman as the true central character. Tanar's character and the events of the story came from deep within me, so deep that the subterranean and labyrinthine imagery and a certain volcanic quality are hardly to be wondered at. But the darkness, the cruelty, the vengefulness, after all, I could have just let them go free. Why did I destroy the whole place of the tombs with an earthquake? It's a kind of huge suicide, the nameless ones annihilating their temple in a vast spasm of rage. Maybe it was the whole primitive, hateful idea of the feminine as dark, blind, weak, and evil that I saw shaking itself to pieces, imploding, crumbling into wreckage on a desert ground. And I rejoiced to see it fall. I still do. Uh, and then the, yeah, years later in the last three books of Earthsea, when I was able to continue Tanar's story and begin to think about the old powers of the Earth, the nature of magic, and the history of Earthsea, both Tanar and I could see all those matters in a different light under a larger, kinder sky. So we we get that, like, jump forward. Yeah, well, and, like, yeah. it's it's that thing of, like, the context had to change to write a different story. Like, mm -hmm. Tanar is stuck there, and so this book, from her perspective, can only end and in the the quote unquote huge suicide of the nameless ones can only end in in the cruelty and the cruelty done back to, to Tanar. But once removed from it, and presumably Le Guin also, you know, she says both her both Tanar and I, under a different kind of sky, can then write a different kind of story, right? Yeah, um, which I think is great. And, and, well, and yeah, go ahead. Oh, just something y'all haven't mentioned yet over the course of the, the episode, but which comes from this afterward, that, that is, I think, one of the more controversial statements that Le Guin has made. Uh -huh. and, and presumably never, as far as I know, never re-spoke to um, after these, is the uh, the women warriors of current fantasy yeah, stuff. that whole section yeah. is like, whew. Quote, the women warriors of current fantasy epics, ruthless swordswomen with no domestic or sexual responsibility who gallop about slaughtering baddies. To me, they look less like women than like boys in women's bodies and in men's armor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that that is a, a line that is from this thing that um, has been celebrated and castigated mm -hmm. with equal energy well, uh, since she wrote it. The thing she's getting time. at is to be a woman is to have, is to be forced into positions of uh, uh, the phrase you just said, uh, uh, domestic and sexual responsibility. That 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 the gender politics of our world put those yep. responsibilities on women. And in these mm -hmm. fantasy novels of fantasy swords, women cutting off goblin heads, uh, they are not. They do not have those things, and so therefore they are not. Are they even? Are those even stories about what it means to be a woman? I'm trying to be as generous yeah. as I can be here, right? Because for that her, is as generous be, as you can be, totally. the less generous Which, version of this is they are not. Women. They are not women, right? And and right. I, the reason I can be generous is because I know what it's like to read a story with a character whose skin is dark but who is not black uh, mm -hmm. or who is not raced in any way, right? Yeah. And I think that there's joy in that sometimes. It's nice to read a book where someone gets to be black. You know, uh, Dragon's Dogma's coming out. And there's so I keep being like, damn, there's still like black characters in Dragon's Dogma. I don't think that they will be racialized as black inside of the society that they're in, you know? But they are black you faces know, with Dragon's black Dogma haircuts. is a wild thing where we could have a whole side quest about it. We, I mean, you're right. it would, we absolutely it would be could. like, oh, that's interesting, but yeah. We, right. But you know what I mean, right? Or like, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, they're, they're, you can have representation without, without uh, the representation Presentation of, of social structures in some ways. Yeah, the, or, the Last of Us, right? Totally. The great example. I've written about this before, right? Where it's a post-apocalyptic scenario in our world that replicates all kinds of quote-unquote real social things, right? From the perspective of the developers. 
um, that pretends as if race and culture, except for one guy speaking Spanish, yeah, uh-huh. uh, just disappeared. Totally. Right? Um, yeah. uh, so you can do that, but but and that's why I can be generous because I know that frustration. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the way it's worded here is just brutal. <laughs> you know, it is yeah, they're yes. not women, and that is a real. Uh, excising of many people, you know? And this is also paired, too, with The Left Hand of Darkness itself, right? Yeah. Which is a book that, you know, it's about uh, the, the Gethinians, uh, the, the, yeah, Gethin? Yeah, Winter? Yeah, the, yeah. the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, those people, they are ambisexual, right? Mm-hmm. So they go through different uh, hormonal phases where, where they have no external sexual organs for most of the month, and then they go into Kimmer, which is when they are um, sexual, and then they, like, um, split, right? So some develop uh, male sex organs, some d- develop female sex organs, what we call those things, right? Uh-huh. And then uh, and then they, like, have sex, whatever, then they reproduce, and when they are pregnant, they are women, right? Like, they are, they take on all these social responsibilities, yeah. and Le Guin has talked repeatedly about the, the one of the reasons for writing that, or, or not has talked, but talked when she was alive, she's not doing it currently, mm-hmm. about part of the, ex- the experiment there was thinking about well, what happens when you distribute this labor among anyone. Anyone could become a woman at any moment, right? Anyone could become the social category that we call woman at any given moment because we don't know what happens. So if that occurs, then what do you do? How does the right? social shift? Yeah, how does the social yeah. transform? And, you know, she has often talked a lot about um, uh, later on about the kind of pronoun change usage there, right? You know, the, the use of he and she so much when when uh, she would have preferred. She didn't have, you know, non-gendered pronouns at her disposal when she was writing it, she said. Right. Um, and so th- that's so interesting to think about her look back on that book and how that looks a particular mm-hmm. way and what we know she was experimenting with in that book. And then to read this from like the early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah, which which does well, have a different tone to it, right? So I don't know. Well, and then there's the other bit in this that I think is probably worth reading, which is, um, uh, you know, there is there is a section here where she's like, you know, some people really don't like that she needs Ged to come save her, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. she's only able to she's only able to escape when Ged becomes her prisoner. Uh, oh, this is actually this is this is about the power to versus power over stuff. Some people have read the story. Here we go, uh, uh, supporting the idea that a woman needs a man in order to do anything. At all, some nodded approvingly, others growled and hissed. Certainly, Arha slash Tenar would be would better satisfy feminist idealists if she did everything all by herself. But the truth, as I saw and as I established in the novel, was that she couldn't. Um, my imagination wouldn't provide a scenario where she could, because my heart told me incontrovertibly that neither gender could go far without the other. So, in my story, neither the woman nor the man can get free without the other. Not in that trap. Each has to help, ask the other for help, and learn to trust and depend on the other. A large lesson, a new knowledge for both those strong, willful, lonely souls. And again, like, I think that you can do both generous and ungenerous readings. And I I want to do the generous one here, which is not about men and women as eternal categories that require each other and Mm -hmm. both of, and to really lean in to the word, not in that trap, that we are caught in culture, that, that if, 
if sexism and, and patriarchy and misogyny and and all this other stuff that trend and you know uh, heteronormativity and you know all sorts of you know uh, transphobia all that stuff is to be dismantled it has to be done in it ha- you know it has to be done through a collaboration and through solidarity by people of various genders who want to do that together that we can't one person one group cannot unilaterally do it because it's simply too big and too powerful to be done alone mm-hmm. and I think that at the same time i fully understand and even have some of the like the hairs on the back of my neck stand up go into defensive posture because it feels both a little defeatist and it feels like um it, this is the thing i'm told all the time that makes me shut up you know oh you have to be more civil to the people who you don't who don't have your experience because otherwise you'll never be able to take apart the thing that we're all trapped under or whatever right mm-hmm. um and so i i i get why people would read this and respond negatively i don't i i i have that in me also but i do my best to be generous to someone who i think is fundamentally a fellow traveler in the yeah. desire to dismantle this stuff um and even though you know I, again I, it, it's easiest for me you know i'm i'm a queer man but I, I think living in america even as a as a queer black man i can i am fundamentally a queer black man and i think about a lot of this stuff through my blackness uh as much as through my queerness and i can't think of I, you couldn't tell me that the Haitian revolution needed to happen. It would have been better if it happened between blacks and whites or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because we've seen what the, the, you know, we've seen what different revolutions have looked like and different racial recognition or, uh, not recognitions, racial, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, it's also such an RE, um, uh, you know, uh, racial uprising or, 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 or liberty that comes at the hands of a, of a powerful racist, you know, overclass, what that ends up looking like. And uh, you can look at the failure of reconstruction in America. You can look at the way in which, you know, black folks and uh, among other races were betrayed again and again through legislative bodies and through failures of the executive branch and through failures of local policy and all that stuff. And so it's like, I it's so hard for me to come over to the side of like well simply if if simply men and women the two genders could get along or could work together towards dismantling this thing then it would work I get the the sort of riling you know boiling response to that but I want to push that down and instead be open to the the broader thing which is like whatever form it takes it will take a collaborative effort uh between people to tear this thing down and replace it and I think mm-hmm. I fundamentally agree with that even if historically it has been more troubled than that across many such lines, you know? Yeah, I'm excited to, once we get a little bit further into the 70s, so yeah. from maybe 1974 through the late 70s, I want to say, Le Guin was a really big contributor to science fiction studies, the journal. Interesting. And uh, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff. She was a reviewer for them for quite a while, too, a reviewing other novels. Um, and, and, and I think there's going to be some interesting stuff that runs into this as well. Um, kind of notably also very critiquable as, as a writer. Um, but Joanna Russ, um, who, you know, was seen as a very ardent, explicit feminist, uh, sometimes read as a lesbian separatist, but I don't, mm. I don't think necessarily her politics actually were that she just wrote a world while away as her like alternate world where that kind of happens. Um, but they kind of get read against one another and they clash pretty extensively on these issues in the seventies. And so that'll be interesting to kind of read some of those and, and pull some pieces from that when we get to 
maybe the next book when uh, Tanar shows up. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I pointed out uh, the bit near the end of this afterward where she talks about uh, seeing the 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 self-destruction of the tombs Mm -hmm. as kind of the self-destruction of this particular uh, misogynist caricature, which she actually earlier in the piece says uh, has the, the 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 old powers are commonly described as misogynists describe women obscure, dark, weak, and treacherous. Mm-hmm. And it's like I get all that, and at the same time, what we've ended up with is this like weird kind of figuration of bad feminine qualities getting so emotionally worked up that yeah. they implode. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's why I'm I'm excited to hear revisit all of this in the future. Yeah, same. And the thing I want to say too, right? Like, I think if you've made it three hours into this episode and you listen to the show, you understand that. But none of this is being like, and so then therefore Ursula K. Le Guin is good and bad, right? right? Like, that's not, like, she's a human being on the planet making artwork, right? Like, it was such a relief to read this afterward, actually, and have her be like, reading this book again 40 years later, whew, what was I doing? so rare. To have an author be frank like yeah. this, right? <laughs> yeah. It's so good to have her be like, I. what was I thinking when I did this? Like, I know I must have had something in mind here, and I must yeah. have been working through something here in terms of an idea. I don't know that I would make the same decisions now, but maybe that's because I'm not there anymore. And like, that's, it's a relief to know that Ursula K. Le Guin does that too, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big part of it. And that's part of Le Guin's legacy, ultimately, right? You know, I had a conversation with someone fairly recently where we were talking about The Left Hand of Darkness, which for a long time was kind of a banished novel, right? Mm -hmm. And it's precisely because Le Guin dealt with the legacy of it, right? And maybe some of the shortcomings of that. And also that uh, a certain subset of, of authors who are kind of active now said, actually, this book is like fairly important for me, right? right. Um, especially people who the politics of that book might reflect negatively on them or have an actual impact on them, right? right? It, it has been charitably read by, as you said, fellow travelers, right? Right. right. Um, and that matters. And I do think that that's the difference between Le Guin and some of the other people who are working at that time is lots of people didn't go back and, and consider their own legacy, um, and because of that kind of ended up stranded in the politics of the present where, yeah, I think if you just looked at this book in the abstract, you could have a very, very negative reading of it. There's a way to do a new criticism reading of this book and not think it is sufficient to the task of reality. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. And I think that's perfectly fine if someone wants to do that or whatever, but, but yeah, I think you're right. Like uh, having the author be like, Hey, here's what hit and what didn't. And I wrote this 40 years ago and the world is different now. And you should remember that reader that the world is different. I think that's helpful. Can I you- like that. That never sends you down the wrong path. I'm going to do the worst thing in the world and ask you. You said you could do a new criticism reading of this book. Yeah. Can you direct people towards something that will explain what that is if you don't want to do a quick little 15-second summary of it? Hey, Michael, let's, you want to do a 15-second summary of what new criticism is? So new He criticism. loves it. That's why I'm doing it. He wants <laughs> to do it. I, I love it. I love new criticism. Um <laughs> And and that's actually, that's like only half ironic, right? Because I think new criticism, if you can get into it, can teach you some important tools, but then you Mm -hmm. need to look beyond that toolkit to find other stuff. So new criticism is a critical movement that emerges in the uh, uh, middle of the 20th century in the United States uh, that is largely concerned with looking at uh, literary artworks, a poem, a novel, short story, what have you. Uh, as a self-contained unit that should be read 
against itself, right? So uh, you sit down and you read a poem. You don't jump out and think, what was this author doing? Where were they in their life? When was this written? What year? Uh, You don't do any of that. But you also don't think like, well, this poem is talking about... mm, I don't know, pine trees, right? And here's what I think of pine trees, or here's what people say about pine trees and uh, all the things we associate with that. No, 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 no. You look at all the words in that poem and you connect those words to other words. Now, you know, the the thing that I've excised here is that you always have to go outside the text to have any sort of thought about the text. But the fantasy of new criticism is that you can explain a thing by only looking at the parts present in that thing. and so what this produces then is uh, sometimes very interesting readings of works of art where uh, it is just about the formal properties of it and kind of what those formal properties may or may not be doing and interpretations you can form based on those things. Uh, but it is never going to give you like the the. Uh, additional support or the cushion that you can sometimes get from historical context, from biographical readings, uh, from uh, the author saying like, well, here's what I thought I was doing and here's what I actually Mm -hmm. did, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so the other important thing to note here is that new criticism in general tends to be very hostile toward readings that are going to get you to ask questions like, well, what about feminism? Or like, what about race, right? Like, what was the state of race relations in, say, I don't know, whatever year that Faulkner was writing this novel, <laughs> sure. right? Yeah. Um, we don't want to think too much about that. Uh, we're just going to, like, gin up a theory of race based entirely around, like, what the the fantasy narrative here of this novel is, is giving us. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Because yeah. I know a lot of folks listen to us and don't always have the the, you know, the bibliography in front of them to know what to even go look up if they wanted to know what we were referencing sometimes. So, mm-hmm. well, they got it now. They sure do. Cool. Love well, it. Well, I think that's the end of the episode. Yeah. I think so. What are we doing next time? Farthest Shore. The Farthest Shore. It's the next book, which I think I've read. I know I said it every not. time. I've a billion percent <laughs> not read it. And I'll read it in the big old book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Since you're making me. Uh-huh. I'll read the afterward. Thank you. The uh, theme song was performed by Cinderwell. Uh, wrote and performed the theme song. Sam Beck made the podcast start. Jordan Mallory edits and produces the show. Uh, we will be having a bonus episode on patreon.com slash range touch a bonus episode on labyrinth will be going up soon and uh, recently an episode went up on legend do do you do you guys know already about the situation that labyrinth is in what is the situation so uh rights just changed the first of the year it is not on streaming However, it will be on streaming in two days. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, it was on streaming up until the first of the year, and now it has entirely disappeared. I know this because so. I sat down to, like, watch it yesterday because I had some time, and I was like, oh, I'll get this out of the mm-hmm. way. And it was, like, n- on nothing. I couldn't find it on anything, except I found it on one platform where I could buy a digital copy, but I couldn't rent it. Incredible. And it was, like, it was like you know, buy now, and then it said stream on February 6th. And I was like, what the Ooh. hell? Because I have hmm. never in my life had a streaming platform like tell me if you hold on a few days. 
Yeah, you've never Incredible. had him tell you we're working on it. Incredible. Yeah, right. I was like, I was so confused. I like called my wife over and I was like, can you like read what this is saying? So I don't like, I'm not like having a psychotic break because right. like the TV is like talking to me. Uh, but we should be good by the time we actually do the episode. It was just a, it was some really weird, uh, uh, like timing on our part. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. Well, I've got a physical copy, so, uh, oh, lucky uh, you. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> the bald devil can't get me. No. Mm-hmm. Good. It's actually, it's the people at Shout Factory who, uh, got the rights and then are like doing a big reset. They got both, okay. uh, Labyrinth and the Dark Crystal. Oh, Ooh. I like that. Yeah. Yep. All right, well, we'll be back uh, in two weeks with the next... Oh, wait, maybe that's true. Hold on, let me look at the calendar. Hold on. Beep, 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 beep. Next week, you'll be getting an episode on Labyrinth, and the week after that will be The Farthest Shore. So uh, start reading that book. We're going to start reading it, too, and we will see you soon. Michael, you want to take us out with the poem? Amid these stacks so straight and tall with tomes lined end to end, how are you to find your way? It's shelved by genre, friend. Uh.